Hello, everyone. Welcome to Popcast on the Rocks, episode 91. We're back this week to talk about pop culture things that interest us. And sometimes there is whiskey. My name is John, and I am joined, as always, by Andrea. Hello, everybody. Hey, John. How's it going? Good. Good. You're looking spiffy tonight. Got the red lip. Thank you. Thank you. You're looking <laughs> dapper yourself. We've got a whole black and white yeah. deal going on. Black, white, and red. I wonder what we could be talking about. <laughs> <laughs> what a tease. Um, yeah, we're going to be talking James Bond later in the show. Um, there is a movie that came out this last year, No Time to Die. I finally got to see it. And um, with it, Craig's tenure is wrapped up. So we're going to be kind of talking Craig's ten, Daniel Craig's tenure and his films mm -hmm. and his role in, in all that. Uh, we'll get to that in the latter half of the show. However, um, before that, I mentioned whiskey. There are usually drink holidays. Mm -hmm. Are there some this week? There are. There are. Earlier this week, January 17th, uh, was a double holiday. Um, so you can pick and choose, pick your poison. Uh, there's hot buttered rum day, or it was national bootlegger day, mm. which is one of those okay. like fun, generic holidays that I just feel like is an excuse to be like, what's that? Oh, it's like seven different types of alcohol that are possible. Cool. Let's have a drink. Yeah. So kind of appreciate those. Uh, I'm trying to remember if I've had a hot buttered rum. I feel like I must have, have at some not. point. Really? Okay. I, no. I looked right. it up because I was like, can't actually mean like hot buttered rum. Can it like, is it butter mm -hmm. and rum? So I All had right. to look it up and I know I've never had it before. Um, even though I come from a family who loves to have like lots of different holiday specialty drinks, right. especially around Christmas. Um, so I was like, oh, maybe I have. Nope, I have not. Huh. Okay. Interesting. I think I, I think I've made it. I feel like I've made it. You know, it. it um, you made it yourself. I think so. Yeah. Okay. As you say, for a holiday or something, that warming kind of thing. Yeah, I, I mean, know. it is. Yeah, it is kind of one of those like weird things where you like think it's going to be gross, like based on the ingredient list, but probably tastes really amazing, especially in like the depths of winter that we sure. are in now. Yep. Right. So. Um, presumably then you're not trying hot butter rum for the first time tonight. Uh, I am not. Um, I am not. I'll, uh, unfortunately you're not going to get, you know, my live reaction whenever I do try hot butter rum, <laughs> uh, unless I, unless I do a reaction video. Cause uh, yeah. <laughs> I am, I am not shy about that. Uh, but no, no, I decided that, uh, I was going to go with, you know, the theme of tonight and what we were discussing for my drink. So okay. I have made myself, in honor of 007, a martini. Okay. What kind of martini? Vodka martini, shaken, not stirred. Okay. All right. Hey, Renato's in chat. Uh, hey. How's it going? Martini SZN. Oh, shit. Season. What's that? <laughs> Am I missing Season? something? Yeah. Oh, season. Oh, wow. Okay. Gotcha. <laughs> All right. Um, great. I, I, I feel a little bad about my cocktail tonight, actually. Uh oh, um, just Does because that mean you did not. 
No, I definitely, definitely am going with a drink to honor the Bond franchise. Okay. My cocktail is um, from For Your Eyes Only, which is one of my favorite Bond films and definitely my favorite Roger Moore film. Um, it's a it's a Negroni, which oh is yeah, great. sure. But the part that I feel kind of bad about is that this is this is trendy. I suppose it's a pre mixed Negroni. Oh, okay. It comes in a bottle, pre mixed. Okay. Uh, it's actually from Trader Joe's. Um, hipster millennial myself, I guess, shopping there. And um, yeah, it's already it's already pre done. I just add a twist of orange. Okay. And that's it. I mean, a Negroni is a great drink. Big fan. So, but this actually opened a while ago. You know, I think mm-hmm. we should I should make some progress on this. So. Well, I mean, you're very Bond esque in the sense that you're not mixing your own drink because quite often he does not. Valid. You know what I mean? I mean, he might Valid. he might pour himself like a little scotch or some whiskey, yes. you know, but he doesn't like straight. We don't watch off. him, you know. Yeah, yeah. exactly. He does shots of stuff or like takes it straight, but he doesn't like mix his own drink. So, mm-hmm. yep. There does, you go. Did that ever? Yeah, thank you. you I mean, you rationalized it very well <laughs> for me. I appreciate it very much. I'm trying. Um, I'm trying. <laughs> is there, um, uh, did it ever bother you in any of the Bond films that, you know, he's supposed to be a man of, exquisite taste mm-hmm. and sometimes the the product placement the deals made force him to have like i say just straight smirnoff yeah or just a heineken or i mean whatever i was gonna, I was gonna say if must- you weren't yeah if you weren't gonna bring it up heineken was the one i was gonna bring up because there was like some pretty large outrage when craig was like ordering up a Heineken and appearing in Heineken commercials. And it was just like, yes, excuse you. Like, yeah. I don't think so. Um, no, uh, I, I, I do remember like the, the fear that kind of erupted when that happened, especially because I feel like bond is, is not only, you know, kind of associated more like high end stuff, mm-hmm. but also like liquor, like bond isn't like yeah. sitting around on a beach somewhere. Like, kicking it with like a Corona or a Heineken. If he's not drinking liquor, he's drinking champagne. Do you know what I'm saying? Like that's the, I mean, I mean, I might be clouded by like my love of Sean Connery and Pierce Brosnan. I mean, they were, they were really like, you know, when Uh they were with the ladies, champagne drinkers. Right. Yeah. But all I'm saying is like, I felt like that was so ingrained for so long. We just couldn't have like, like you said, like Smirnoff popping up or like Heineken popping up. Mm-hmm. Not okay. I mean, it's not. Is it unreasonable to imagine that James Bond would have a beer once in a while? I mean, I don't know. It's not unreasonable, but I don't know why, but I don't want to see it. Sure. <laughs> sure. It is kind of one of those things like it, it kind of, I don't know. It makes sense that it would stand out no matter where he's at. Everybody else is drinking swill. And he's got to find the thing, the uh, the top right. shelf something, to right? Make it work. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, even even when he's you know off the clock and he's in his differing, 
you know, I'm out phases and we mm-hmm. see him relaxing on a beach somewhere or, you know, just kind of out of the game. He's still like doing tequila shots or, you know, drinking like mm-hmm. some whiskey at the decanter. He's not, yep. you know, I don't know. I don't see him like lying on the beach with a with this summer's beach read and a Heineken just getting a tan and chillaxing. Okay. All right. Hot take. Hot take. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, we're going to get into James Bond more later. Um, in the meantime, what else have you been up to this week? Anything, anything fun? Sure. Um, it's actually been a pretty busy week for me. Lots of work to do, but I did manage to, I was really excited about this last week and I managed to squeeze in the first two episodes of Peacemaker on HBO Max. Definite thumbs up. It's, I mean, it's a great continuation of the Suicide Squad, obviously with James Gunn at the helm. Um, I didn't really have my doubts about that, Um, but it definitely lived up to what I was expecting in my mind for the series. I think it's a great start so far. Um, And I, while I, I do definitely think that to get everything that's going on, you should watch the Suicide Squad because there are a number of um, callbacks to that. You know, even even if, you know, you just wanted to be introduced, I think you could be introduced to Peacemaker from this series. I think it would make a lot more sense to be introduced to him from the Suicide Squad. Um, but there's like a lot of little nuggets that James Gunn has tied into this um, that will really improve your enjoyment of the series. So definitely watch the suicide squad, then watch peacemaker. You're going to love it. Okay. All right. Oh, that's a good litmus test then too. If you are enjoying the movie, move on to the, to the series. Absolutely. I cannot say enough good things about John Cena and his portrayal, his commitment to the portrayal of peacemaker. Also, his sidekick, Eagly, is the best. It's, <laughs> it's chock full of CGI, and I love it, and it's hilarious. It, <laughs> it just, it, it's absurd, and it fits so perfectly. So, okay, two thumbs Great. up. Um, another thumbs up for the other um, kind of pop culture-y thing that I was able to do this week. Um, I got a little bit into Crossroads of Twilight, which is not a Twilight book. Uh, but is in fact the 10th novel in the Wheel of Time series by Robert Jordan. No, so. we discussed last week. It's not a Twilight book. It's a Twilight supernatural crossover. That's right. Yes. That's right. Mm. Crossroads Demon plus. Yes. <laughs> plus yeah. Twilight. Uh, yes, it is definitely none of those things. Um, it is Wheel of Time and it's good. Um, it is on the tail end of what many people do consider kind of like the drag in the series like that middle stretch of the books where like Robert Jordan got a little bit lost in what he was doing and you can kind of tell, but you can also kind of tell as the book progresses, it's about to pick up. So I'm excited to like move forward, get to the end, to the good stuff. Nice. All right, cool. Well, that's fun. Yeah. I got to get on the peacemaker. Um, I, so yeah, I didn't get to try that. I'd mentioned last week I'm giving up on Boba Fett, so I didn't have yeah. that this week. I kept going on my anime streak here. Uh, the new stuff that 
is relevant is the latest Demon Slayer. I watched the oh, sure. seventh episode of the latest season, and um, God, these episodes just fly by. You know, it's I, I'm not I'm definitely not used to watching anime these days one episode at a time, and then waiting oh, a sure. week. So um, yeah, it's just over like that, and um, there's been a lot going on. Yeah, um, I do forget how short they can be. I mean, they're yeah. especially when they're like half hour episodes. They're really like eighteen to twenty minutes. And it's just yeah, like, it's like well, bam, 23 minute episode minus the intro, minus the outro, and then whatever little short thing they often do on things, you know, a little like, yep, um, get comedy thing or something like that. So, yeah, yeah, it shortens up. I, um, I was listening to a few other people talk about this, thought that there wasn't enough happening in this season. And I just, I don't know, to me, it's, it's flying. It's very interesting. It's very beautiful. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah. Excellent. Um, and then no time to die. Um, we're kind of like piecing together what this week was going to be. And I bought finally the physical 4k disc of, uh, no time to die and Dune. So I have a couple and, um, I always go to see bond right away in the theater, mm -hmm. but this one had been such a weird tumultuous delay coming out it's going to be delayed again type type of thing and then it ultimately released when i was right in the middle of working so right shamed as i uh may be uh i finally got around to it so um and then i got i don't think i oh yeah it was i didn't have it for the last episode um i got my green belt in taekwondo so nice congrats thanks awesome so, moving along Mm -hmm. I uh, I feel bad. There's a, a competition coming up that I don't really want to compete, but I kind of feel pressured to like show up for the gym, you know. But uh, I'm gonna be gone then, so okay, I won't make it. But yeah, you're gonna have to do it at some point. Think so? Yeah, yeah. Some sort of you're gonna have to live out your own like Karate Kid, Cobra Kai, like. <laughs> I mean, come on. Mm -hmm. Like well, how we much have we talked watched about of Mike that? starting the rival gym, you know? Yes, exactly. Way over and yeah. Mm -hmm. So you're gonna have to know what this is like when Mike does start his rival gym, so that you can well, be like, let me just I'm ready say, if if Mike's rival gym and ours were competing in our respective martial art disciplines, his would win. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, if we're, if. If we're not, and that's nothing to do to do with like speaking on the quality of the gym, wherever that's sure. speaking on the technique, you know, like you combine Taekwondo with something else. If you're going to like, if you're going to be fighting a wrestler, mm -hmm. you don't come at him with, you come at him with wrestling, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so yeah. But, but if we just do no rules, then, then we'll see. Then it's like okay. just free, free fighting. I don't just know. freestyling it. Yeah. Um, so that's it, I guess there uh, for our weeks, not too much crazy going on mm -hmm. news. There are a number of news stories that crazy there. I think, yeah, I mean, I don't need to spend forever on them because I want to get to our main topic, but at the same time, damn, um, it's <laughs> <laughs> a great I, summation. Damn. <laughs> yeah. Well, I woke up. Whatever day it was this week, and so like Tuesday, I just, maybe? I think so. It, yeah, I, and I just didn't even believe it, Harley. 
um, mm-hmm. that Microsoft has bought Activision. Yes. That's, um, I mean, Activision makes basically the Blizzard biggest game in the game. world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Call of Duty. Um, yeah. And now that's a Microsoft property. It's, this is not only, I made the joke is like they couldn't stand that, um, what was the, that, uh, take two had just made the biggest acquisition in gaming history the other week. They're like, hold, you know, like hold my beer. Hold my beer. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, because that uh, was like, yeah, you know, what was that? 12 billion or something like that. This is almost $69 billion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can't even cash. I can't even. <laughs> Oh my God. I, I mean, you think, you think like Phil's out there somewhere just like filling up suitcases, just like <laughs> just, laughing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's happening. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. He's in the Microsoft vault taking, yep. Taking out the 100s. billions. Slowly get, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, for sure. Is it weird that I could actually see that? <laughs> <laughs> well, Renato, if you're still in chat, I want to hear your thoughts on this because if I recall, you're a PlayStation gamer and mm-hmm. I didn't want to talk to someone because this is, you know, for the industry at large, um, I think there's going to be a, a few effects. And from my perspective, the way I've seen things go recent, I think mm-hmm. there'll be largely positive effects. Activision has been embroiled in lawsuits. Mm-hmm. Um, Bobby Kotick, their CEO, CEO is in trouble, allegedly tried to have someone killed or threatened it anyways. Um, Blizzard has had PR nightmare after PR nightmare, right. banning people for saying something um, about the Chinese government and then coming back on it. And then again, like culture problem. I, and I don't know how much is founded and how much isn't. I'm like right. fo- followed it all because I honestly don't, generally speaking, care that much about Activision, Blizzard, or King. Um, but the industry does. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of people do. And um, I think this shakeup could not could not only, um, like, there's studios that have been in Activision that just were taken off their own projects and said, hey, guess what? You're just going to be a Call of Duty support studio now. Right. So just help us crank out this thing every year that a lot of people have agreed has, like, seen a downward trajectory in quality Mm -hmm. and it becomes soulless work for other people that were, you know, invested in doing their own projects or different things. And so it's a whole number of things that now under a new umbrella, um, when they're at a weak point, Microsoft comes in and buys them. This could Mm -hmm. be very good for the company and uh, for people that like those games and some of those Mm -hmm. franchises. But it's also nuts because Microsoft owns Crash Bandicoot and Spyro, the mm-hmm. dragon. Mm-hmm. I mean, I blame this on Sony for not locking those mascots up years and years ago. Right. But um, it's still no- nevertheless insane. So I- I've I've talked a lot now on this. Wh- what are your thoughts? Have you seen coverage on it or wh- what do you think? Yeah. So a lot of the coverage that I've seen recently um, has been of interviews with Phil Spencer talking about like those kinds of lesser known non call of duty 
games that he's interested in reviving. And I think mm-hmm. a lot of people are genuinely excited to hear that. I mean, everybody knows Call of Duty isn't going away. You know what I mean? Like, right. they're not buying Activision and just being like, we're just going to, like, fade Call of Duty. Like, it's not happening. Um, so that's that's definitely still going to get new games, new support, like, new development. But I think people are really excited about, like, kind of these, like, forgotten games that do need, like, some revival, bringing back to the forefront, and and teams that can have... You know, it sounds like they have the support of like the top guy to have that creative control back to not just be like, okay, we're, you know, supporting Call of Duty. We're going to have time now to work on like our own IP. So Mm -hmm. I'm excited about that. Like, I'm excited about this interview, you know, where Phil's like, yeah, Crash Bandicoot. Yeah, Spyro. Like, I'm like, you know, I I couldn't even believe the the roster of games that we were getting. Like, obviously, we knew we were getting like Call of Duty, but like, look at all this other stuff. And he was like, I'm so excited to like revive Guitar Hero, which I mean, there's a throwback for you. Like, that was so hot when we were in college and we were just, you know, everybody was like freaking out about Guitar Hero and then it died hard. And (laughs) I would be so pumped to pick that back up with something new. So, so yeah, so I'm, I'm really excited about this merger. I mean, I know it's not going to happen for a long time. There's like miles of legal yardage that they have to go through and, uh, you know, everything has to be, you know, signed off on. Although I don't as of now see any like major roadblocks to that. It's just going to take time, but whenever it does happen, I'm excited. So what are your thoughts on like, I mean, the con- the consolidation of the market. I know we've talked about this a little bit. Sure. Um, you know, we see it with we see it in other industries too, in the movie industry or whatever. All of a sudden, you know, look how big. AT- I think some of it's being split now, but AT and T just gobbling. It's like right. Time Warner and it's HBO, it's Comedy Central, just all these things that you don't necessarily associate being under right. one umbrella. You know, it starts getting piled up. Yeah, and so we're yeah. They are, I mean, like you said, they are actually selling pieces off now. Um, So they're Mm -hmm. kind of like breaking that up, um, which HBO has mentioned several different times on like various platforms and programs that they run that, you know, AT&T is no longer going to be their their overarching owner. So, I mean, I worry-ish about it, but um, yeah, I mean... I think those sorts of things are proof that like just because this deal happens once doesn't mean it's always going to be staying that way. Mm -hmm. I mean, Xbox in particular, I feel like has been a little hungry for acquisitions. um, Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's probably in response to the fact that like PlayStation has outgunned them in terms of like actual console production, um, but hasn't quite got the edge on them in terms of game production. So I feel like Xbox is just like focusing in and leaning hard into things like game pass and like game production rather than like, I don't know that we're ever going to catch up in the console market. So let's just like do our stuff with actual games. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, the argument there is of course that, you know, okay, well, Microsoft didn't make any of these games. So if they had the edge on games as well, it's because they just bought them all. They didn't mm-hmm. make them. So. Yes and no. 
um, because we don't. I mean, obviously, nobody's going to argue that they made Call of Duty, um, but we don't know what new stuff is going to come out from this acquisition. And right. like, if if you know, Xbox feels like okay, we've got the authority to say like, hey, smaller teams, you don't have to be just like Call of Duty support system. Go develop some yeah. stuff. Like, yeah, we'll see. Well, I think it was, you know, they did a Tony Hawk pro skater kind of remaster. And I don't know, they needed more help for Call of Duty. So they took that team instead of doing another Tony Hawk and going forward with that. That's right. the team. They said, nope, help Call of Duty. So, right. Um, and Xbox has certainly got the resources to say, like, hey, existing teams, you don't need to be that. We can yeah. hire new people. Uh, you know, obviously, consolidation has uh, a scary element to it because yeah. if the one doing the consolidating handles things poorly, you affect a large swath of the industry. Mm -hmm. You know, and so it, it, I can't say I'm just like for consolidation or against consolidation. It depends on the situation. It depends on how I feel that. Um, the individual company is going to manage. You know, I think that mm -hmm. their Microsoft has been of late buying companies that are other than like needing to make more money are self-running. You know, mm -hmm. they stand on their own two feet. They've been in production for a long time. They're doing their thing. So th there's a little less, they can be a little more hands-off mm -hmm. and just offer people cash for creativity. That's the like idealistic view of it, you know, but there's a whole swath of people as well that are pretty upset because they see the writing on the wall that, you know, a lot of their beloved titles aren't going to come to the platform of their choice, you know, yes. and I'm personally not looking forward to the next year and a half of I'm people. Whining. When is something, is this going to be exclusive? Is this going to be exclusive? And every interview, like, was this going to be, are you taking this away from everybody? All this kind of thing. Um, but it's already begun. Mm -hmm. And there's already uh, game journalists, like, fighting amongst each other online. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know if you've seen any of that. but they're, I have, yeah. Um, so <laughs> it's going to be something to watch. And I... Um, if anyone's out there has very differing views, please leave us comments. Let us know. Um, I'm interested in what people have to say about this. Um, you know, I, I try not to come across as, as too one-sided. Mm -hmm. I just, um, it does make me happy that in my mind, Microsoft has some, they've decided that they're committed to gaming. Mm -hmm. It's a core pillar of the company. They're putting their might behind it. And the person mm -hmm. running that is a person that's excited, excited and understands games. And yes. so it's a, it's a, it's a company that's offering great value and services for people. And I just feel like since Phil Dominus Maximus Aurelius Spencer took charge, he is, he's making all the right decisions. Basically it's all the right moves. And, um, but at the same time, I understand people being worried that, you know, their favorite thing is getting gobbled up by the competition. So, um, yeah, I mean, I can't disagree with you on either front. Like I said, I, I read the interviews and was really excited that like 
Phil was, you know, pumped about a broad swath of games and not just like, we're going to focus on, you know, what, just what we know is going to make us money. Um, Mm -hmm. So yeah, so like, you could just like feel the sort of, you know, geeking out, if you will, uh, of him at this acquisition over being like, oh my God, look at all these like crazy titles that I just can't wait to like dig up and like give new life to. So it's, it's hard not to kind of get swept up in that same excitement when you hear like how passionate he is. So I'm, I'm excited um, about that, like you and, you know, understanding of people who prefer games on other consoles worried about, yeah, I really love this game, but am I not going to be able to play it? Or am I going to, you know, have to switch over at the end of the day, I guess I'm not as loyal to us, uh, like a gaming console that like, I wouldn't, you know, switch over if it was for a game I love. Like you could put, I mean, I've used this before, but you could put Res Evil 4 on anything and tell me it's now exclusive to that. And I'm like, cool, going to get it. Cause that's how much yeah. I love it. <laughs> so I'm, I'm just not yeah. like a, I'm not a console, you know, hardcore, like line in the sand person. It's, it's about yep. the game for me. So. Sure. Well, I'll offer two more points. Um, sure. One, I think that the, the resources that someone like Microsoft affords does really allow for that kind of game diversity. Whereas mm-hmm. Sony has historically, they've, you know, said before, they've been one decision or two away from folding it in from like filing bankruptcy. If it's like, if the PlayStation doesn't succeed, if they lose too much money on it, they're in real trouble. And so understandably they make, you know, they found the game type that their studios are good at Mm -hmm. and they've been doubling down on those things and they sell millions of copies. Yeah. And they, and, and you don't, you can't just, go out there and make a whole bunch of weird stuff because you don't know if it's going to pay off. But on Microsoft's front, the product is Game Pass. So it, it lives because it has variety and diversity. Mm -hmm. It, 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 it dies if it's got one, only one kind of game, even if that's the kind of game that most people like, because a bunch of other people don't. And so it's, and the other thing I think people are, missing here is yeah they're getting so tied up with the box the platform i really think microsoft knows this and everybody else in the industry that's doing this stuff knows this within within the decade most people um in the western world um probably southeast asia too i don't know are going to be just taking a controller of their choice and mm-hmm. like, like you'd open up Netflix or you'd open up Hulu. Right. It doesn't depend on the box. You just stream the thing. So right. you subscribe to Microsoft Game Pass. You subscribe to PlayStation, whatever. Right. You subscribe to Amazon Luna. You su- whatever your thing of choice is, and there's your catalog. And I know yep. a lot of people will not like that. It's very far from traditional gaming. It's uh, it, but like the writing is on the wall. It's mm-hmm. just. It's happened to every other medium. Um, it's going to happen to games. Mm-hmm. So like, don't get too attached to your box because it's not going to, it's not going to matter. 
right. it's not going to matter. Exactly. You know? Exactly. And there'll be there'll be boxes there for like you want the highest fidelity. You know, you just like that's going to exist for a while, especially mm-hmm. in places without great internet infrastructure. Mm-hmm. You know, but a lot of those places without great inter- internet infrastructure, people there are just playing games on their phone. So right. it's not even the console thing yet anyways. So which uh which Microsoft also is uh creeping in yeah. on that market with this right. acquisition. They've got King. King. I yep. mean Candy Crush exactly. is pretty ubiquitous. So yeah, look look at them go. Yep. They've got like some real cash cows in their lineup now mm-hmm. <laughs> that they yes. can there's just gonna these are things that you're just gonna churn out money for them. And it goes into the pile that everybody gets exactly. It gets distributed to all different kind of groups, and uh, yeah, makes them elevates elevates them all. Yeah, I think I I would be more nervous about this acquisition if we hadn't seen Xbox, you know, do that before. If we hadn't seen them like, you know, let's dump money in the pile and then let's diversify. You know, if we had, like you said, if we had seen them develop like one type of game through all their support behind one type of game, yeah, this would be absolutely terrifying. But I think it yep. is, I think it is more of a, like a communal development spirit. Um, yep. Obviously not everybody's going to get like exact equal parts of funding. No, right. Um, you know, that's never the way it works, but I think, you know, they'll, they'll get a fair shot at more for, you know, as long as they can produce. All right, so that's that megaton of a story. Um, Hammer new drop. biggest, yeah, biggest game acquisition. I think it's the biggest cash acquisition in history for acquiring a business. I mean, I think someone can fact check me on that if they yeah. want. because I think, it, <laughs> but I think it is because every other deal. I wouldn't have not believe with, you. <laughs> I've dealt with stock options and stuff. Sure. You know, like there's lots of other elements to the deal this is just like money here it is mm-hmm. it's all dogecoin actually it's just uh <laughs> yeah. oh god oh activision <laughs> you fools <laughs> <laughs> um all right getting into uh off the gaming subject here mm-hmm. and going into um movies and television superhero yeah. television at that mm-hmm. Moon Knight. Yes. Moon Knight. Yes. Uh, trailer. Yeah, dropped it this last week. They um they actually dropped it during uh Monday Night Football. That was the first time they had premiered the trailer for Moon Knight, which I had to laugh at a little bit. That was like a very strange audience <laughs> to drop that to. Um Think especially so? I do, especially Moon Knight. It's not like, I don't know. He's not like the manliest of superheroes. He's not like Thor. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. you know what I think of like when I think of football audience? Um, I think Peacemaker would have been like a really hilarious trailer to drop during Monday Night Football. Um, or like, okay. like I said, something like Thor, Iron Man, you know, Spider-Man, something like really core. But I think Moon Knight was a gamble. Um, but it was a sweet trailer. It was, I really enjoyed it. It it didn't give me a whole lot of insight 
on on who the character was. Um, I haven't really heard of Moon Knight before. I mean, I've heard of Moon Knight, but I haven't like, you know, delved too deeply into the lore of it. There, yeah, yeah, I'm not familiarized. Um, so it didn't give me a lot of that, but it did tease me to like learn more. So well done on the trailer. Okay. Uh, just to jump back for a second, because Alan posted uh, in our chat oh. here. So this doesn't say specifically whether this is a cash deal, but it is just saying for acquisition period. Uh, however, that largest. deal broke down. <laughs> yeah, the largest deal being uh, $180 billion for um, Vodafone Group buying... Manisman AG. Yeah. Okay. You know? Wow. Wow. So, all right, Microsoft. I mean, what are you going to do about that? The steal back in (laughs) 2000. You going to let that stand? Oh my God. I can't even imagine like for inflation. I wonder how much that would be today. Yeah. That's what I was thinking too. You know, 20, uh, 20 years on now. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, Moon Knight. Yeah. I, um, I thought um, I thought it was a cool look, mm-hmm. um, cool tease. I mm-hmm. approved. I I also don't know much about Moon Knight. What I've learned from it is uh, is from Pete, who we've had on the show. Sure, he is a uh, longtime diehard Moon Knight fan, mm-hmm. and so I just want I got his impression a little bit. Um, he he is personally a little disappointed that they're taking the kind of split personality or insane moon knight element okay he's like unaware because i guess originally moon knight was not that so much he was a little more analogous to a batman kind of figure and he'd be fighting monsters like werewolves um i guess there's pete's like there must be a werewolf confrontation must happen so um yeah the little newer take he's was not the take he wanted but I, okay. I think he's still excited. So I'm yeah, excited I think... for me. Good. Oh, I was just going to say, I think, um, I think part of it probably has to do with Oscar Isaac, because okay. I think even from like the short snippets in the trailer, he does that so well. He does that mm. like confused. What am I doing? And flipping back and forth so well that I think, you know, they couldn't not take advantage of that talent and tell that story. Um, I actually think it makes it harder for the audience to get into. They're taking a bigger risk by by telling this story of, like, losing time and, like, multiple personalities. Um, Because it's not clear to me, like, from reading some of the backstory, how much he is aware of his multiple personalities right. and when he's aware of them. So um, obviously this, this show is, is hinting that it's taking the route that he, he's in a place where he doesn't know about it. Um, so yeah, so I find this very interesting and very, very risky on the part of Disney. Okay. Nice. I mean, I think it feels uh, different enough from everything else. And it, mm-hmm. it gives me, um, hope for whatever they end up doing with daredevil honestly it feels mm. a little darker An echo. um yeah i hope that it's um i hope that it is a little bit darker i hope they can mm-hmm. kind of lean into that and feels like its own thing and um yeah 
I'm, I'm, I'm excited. Yeah. They, they really didn't give us a whole lot in this trailer, but like I said, they, they definitely enticed me with it. Yeah. Right. Um, so what's this other Moon Knight news here? Um, you said insanely sad Moon Knight news. Yeah. So, so, um, unfortunately, I don't know, again, I, I don't know a whole lot about the backstory of Moon Knight, um, but I do know that he has very few allies um, at one point. He kind of, you know, after he develops these, like, multiple personalities, he's kind of going rogue. Um, he develops, like, two very important friendships, um, one with a Frenchman, and that character appears, I think I think his name is John something. Ugh, gosh. I, I knew it before, and now I don't, of course, because we're live on the air. Um, but he develops this very close friendship, and um, that part of the story is going to be appearing in Moon Knight. The actor who plays this character died this week, tragically, mm. in a ski accident. So... Oh. I thought that that was just, I mean, the, the actor is only like 37 years old um, and he apparently plays like a major part in Moon Knight, which, you know, from reading the backstory um, makes sense to me. But yeah, he unfortunately was off skiing um, and was in a collision with another skier and hit his head and he's passed away. So I Yikes. think that kind of. Yeah, I think yeah. it kind of casts a pall over Moon Knight. Um, you know, I have no idea if it was going to be one of the series that they were thinking was going to keep going right. um, or if it was just like, you know, a one-off and done, but pretty pretty tragic to lose what seems like a pretty central character before um, Moon Knight is even dropped. It'll certainly be difficult for all those involved in the show that are trying mm -hmm. to be excited for, right. you know, the premiere and they'll be promoting it and everything and then they'll sit through and watch it and, uh, yeah, be reminded of that. And so that'll be too bad. Um, we've had a lot of, a uh, lot more death in Hollywood as well. <laughs> Seriously, uh, 2022, we were, uh, Chris and I were just talking about this. It's not, uh, it's not kicking off to a great start. I mean, we've had just today, Louis Anderson died. Uh, Meatloaf just recently died. Sidney Poitier just died. Bob Saget just died. Like, slow your roll. It's only January. It's like rule of three. Screw that. Except five. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I guess well, Gaspard Ulil um, is, is the actor's mm. name. Okay. So, yep, that was, that was something I, yeah, I saw recently, and it was just, you know, very tragic that that happened. And obviously, like you said, it's going to be pretty hard um, as we approach the Moon Knight premiere to kind of get, ex for the cast to get excited about that when obviously yeah. it's such a heavy thing. Yep. Um. Well, heavy, but in a very fantasy context, uh, mm -hmm. um, is the new Batman mm -hmm. film, The Batman. Um, something I'm very excited for, the dark take on Batman. A darker take on Batman? I mean, we're, like, how, <laughs> how dark can we go? Um, but the latest news, I'm not super thrilled about. No, me neither. Um, the Batman's runtime including credits is two hours and 55 minutes. Mm -hmm. 
I mean, I thought yeah. Dune was long, right? Yeah. Uh, this is yeah, 15, I'm like, 20 minutes longer. Right. I'm thinking about it like it's so strange to me because on the one hand, I think about like Lord of the Rings films and how long they yeah. were. They don't feel all that long when you're watching them. I mean, they, they do, obviously, to an extent, but they don't feel as long as their runtime actually is. Right. So, but that's such an exception to the rule, I think. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of other movies that are that long, like Peter Jackson, King Kong. I felt every one of those minutes in that movie, and it was a good movie, but it was like, my God, it's still going. <laughs> so, I mean, is this going to be one of those where it's like, I really enjoy this, but dear Lord, like, can I have a Titanic style, you know, intermission or something in here? Yeah. You know, are they just counting on the bulk of the viewership watching this? Being at home? At home? Yeah. I mean, maybe. You know, binge culture. It is. It's still a very weird thing to me how it's perfectly fine to watch four hour long episodes of something in a row. That's fine. But then a two and a half hour movie, I can't sit down and watch that. That's, right. Yeah. I. Yeah. So I feel like it has to do with the nature of the fact that you either feel you can or can't take a break during a movie. And right. I feel like there are two very distinct kinds of people. I am of the persuasion I cannot take a break during a movie. If I've seen the movie okay. like, you know, 10 times, this is my umpteenth rewatch. Yeah. Yes, obviously. I cannot, when first watching a film, take a break. I can't okay. do it. Like, I, the first time I saw Return of the King, I realized two minutes before the movie started, I had to go to the bathroom. <laughs> Guess who held it for the entire GD what movie? A what Me. A <laughs> I couldn't do it. I can't. I'm so worried all the time that I'm going to miss something super cool and it's going to disrupt the flow of the movie. I'm like super in the story, but I'm going to miss something and it's just not going to ever be the same for me. So I can't but you're do gonna it. Ruin your satisfaction. You're gonna you're gonna mess up the ride because you're too worried about keeping it in. I didn't because you know? I got I got so sucked in. I was like <laughs> probably aware again like ten minutes before the movie was done. Like shit, I have to go to the bathroom. But for like it got me. Like I was so in there and I was so just like I'm gonna enjoy this movie that like yeah I'm just one of those people I can't I can't disrupt a movie especially my okay. first viewing. So this one's going to be one of those things where I'm going to have to like sit down. If, if it's a streaming thing, I'm going to have to sit down and like prepare and like right. have a snack and, you know, mm -hmm. have everything ready to go and shut off my phone and whatever. But yeah, I mean, if you're one of those people, you know, God bless you. If you can get up and go to the bathroom during a movie, then this probably doesn't bother you. Yeah. I well, don't know how you do it, but I, good for you. I mean, I have, but uh, yeah, I likewise, it's is a difficult thing to do. It depends on the film. If it's comedy, mm -hmm. something silly, it's not as pertinent. Sure. You know? But yeah, um, I, I tend to not like go to the theater for stuff like, you know, 
lighter. Yeah, I, I, no, I've yeah. noticed I don't go to the theater for a lighter fare, so I do t- tend to like, you know, I'm here and I'm in it, you know, yep. for the long haul. Um, the thing I always hate, though, is I love my dad so much, but like he's one of those people who like goes to the bathroom during a movie and he'll always ask me, like, do you think like now's a good time? I've seen this movie. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. mean, sure, maybe. Oh, man. If he'll if he'll get you to stop talking to me, then go. Right? <laughs> now's a great time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm not directly opposed to this. I just, it's got to earn that runtime. Got to yes. earn mm-hmm. my time sitting there. Yep. Um, We had another teaser. Um, mm-hmm. Much like Moon Knight, but way more of a teaser. There's yeah. way less there. <laughs> Um, for the new Lord of the Rings show from Amazon. Mm-hmm. What'd you make of this? Oh my God. Ugh. I had so many reactions to this. Like I was all over the place, up and down and up and down. So I love the end of this. I love where it came out. Like, okay. so we got that, we got the title reveal it's going to be Lord of the Rings, the Rings of Power. So we're talking about the rings that were given to the elves, the dwarves, and men before, you know, our, our typical right. Lord of the Rings story. I love these stories. I love them. They are so interesting. And I think it's just like such a cool, you know, familiar but different idea. It's so smart. It really is because like everybody already knows about the rings of power. They get it from like the whole journey of the one ring, like excellent choice in story topic. Also, like I said in the comments, props to like the tech team, the design team, you know, the effects team. They they did this whole thing where the trailer was just like one long shot of like, um, the title being poured into like engraved wood and like this like hot molten metal was being like poured in. They actually did this. Like it wasn't just like CGI. It was like, no, we're going to like cast a mold of the title and then like pour hot metal in there and like film it. Cool job. I love that. Great. Big detractions. Um, I have no idea who the bitch is narrating this trailer, but she speaks Kate Blanchett's words. And how dare she? Like, right. Like, I mean, they're so iconic. So it's like this whole like opening speech that we get right at the beginning of fellowship of the ring, talking about all the background. It's Kate Blanchett in her amazing, like mystical, cool, like, yeah, you know, otherworldly, voice and it's so like her and those words are so tied together and here comes some like imposter thinking she's all that floozy thank you thinking she's all that (laughs) like says it so pointedly so much enunciation so over dramatized i couldn't like what is this like she even had like in the land of Mordor. Like, oh, yes, no. oh, yes, yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What was that? Like, <laughs> say it like a person. Oh, uh, it was too much for me. I couldn't. 
I wanted to hit mute. <laughs> like, I love the whole visuals of the trailer. Could have cut out the sound. And that would have been fine. Why didn't they just have the voiceover that was originally done? You know, it'll be tying it into the, you know, why they have Kate Blanchett's narration I'm, there. I'm guessing it's because whoever narrated this is going to be a part of the cast. I don't right. know if they have the audacity, if they actually have the audacity to like cast someone else as Galadriel, like a younger version. Yeah. Because, I mean, she is one of the bearers of the three elven yeah. rings. Right. Um, so I believe hers is Nenya. The Ring of Adamant. Um, but yeah, so if they have somebody new come in, I'm out, man. Like, I don't know if I can watch that. <laughs> and I, don't, I especially don't DH, know. If, right? Yeah. Like, I especially don't know be. if I can watch it if it's like whoever did the narration on this because her narration did not give me any confidence that she's not going to like overact the hell out of this part, whatever it is. So, no. Maybe they'll make up an excuse why she looks different. Some magic thing. I had to take a new form uh, later. No, I don't know. No. I'm just making it. <laughs> up, I just, I just don't have. I, I haven't heard any confidence from mm -hmm. anywhere coming out about this show, and and I think I think understandably so because you have so much to live up to with the Lord of the Rings trilogy. You have so right. much. Um, so much weight to just the original source material and then already having the man himself, Peter Jackson, let most people down with the Hobbit trilogy. Right. You're like, well, of course this isn't going to be good. You know, right. so like they really it's it's really on them to to prove it. And um, I mean, yeah, to, to me so far, there's we got nothing good to go on, you know? Yeah. Like I said, I'm I'm like. 60-40 on this trailer, 60% bad, 40% okay. good. Like I said, okay. I think the the core story idea is cool. Mm -hmm. And I thought like the effects were cool, like way to not go CGI because obviously CGI was a huge complaint in like the making of the Hobbit trilogy. It was a yeah. huge deal that everybody was right. like, oh my God, it's so much. So good on you for like listening-ish, I guess. But that really doesn't tell me like what you're going to do with the rest of the series. And obviously, I've already enumerated that I hated the entire voiceover. Sure. Yeah. I mean, what would you think of uh, a they're telling the story, but animated? What if they had a high production quality animation series telling this instead? I'd be cool with it. As long as long as Kate Blanchett voiced Galadriel. Right. So I mean down. Get back totally. the voices. Absolutely. Yeah. Um Yeah, I would totally be into that. I mean, it's not like they haven't done animated Lord of the Rings before. Like I <laughs> actually absolutely love uh the animated Hobbit. It's kind of ridiculous and crazy, and it's hilarious if you're ever like playing a drinking game to it or like you mm. doing a little partake um, and watching that movie. It is awesome. Um, on its own. It's also like a lot of fun, fun to watch yeah. that movie. So yeah, so, like, so I could totally, I could totally go with it. That in the star Wars holiday special back to back. Yeah. Like a good day. <laughs> That's a good day. That's a good yeah. day. 
Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So this is an interesting story. We're moving into, I mean, I should have, I should have done that before. I guess we've already been covering, uh, British entertainment, um, mm-hmm. going, uh, further down. Full that. On. What's that? Full on Brit now. Yeah. Right. Um, shake up at the BBC. So the <sighs> British broadcasting channel, um, they're, um, They've been around, I don't know how long. It's been a while. But to my understanding, you, um, it's there's a fee that mm-hmm. if you're a member of the British, you're, you're a citizen, you have to pay that mm-hmm. goes towards the, the BBC. Yes. And they are getting rid of that. Um, crazy. I'm sure that's yeah. quite the change for, uh, for the citizen, citizenry there. Mm-hmm. Um, do, you, do you have thoughts? I didn't know I, this was like under discussion or whatever, you know, but yeah, no, I had, I mean, this totally came out of left field. Like I, I had seen nothing about it before. So when you posted that, I was like, whoa, um, yeah, I am highly disappointed about this because as the article rightly points out, the BBC's already made the cuts it can make behind the scenes and in, you know, like staffing it's, this is going to affect hugely um, the content that they're able to produce. And not only things, you know, that have kind of traveled over and become beloved um, or like high, high production value things like Doctor Who, um, but it's going to affect a lot of like, you know, the period dramas that they do, which, you know, as a, as a student of English literature, Victorian era especially, I do watch a lot of those programs. and it really disappoints me that the BBC is no longer going to have, you know, a foot in that arena. It's going to be up to like streaming platforms like Netflix. If they want to do those sorts of period dramas, which, you know, they've already dabbled their toe into with their like mega hit series Bridgerton. Um, But that's like one thing that's not what they're known for. Whereas like the BBC is like, we got this. This is like our bread and butter. We do this all the time. Um, yeah, so I'm I'm highly disappointed that this is going to be happening. Well, good because I have the complete opposite opinion. <laughs> um, I, uh, I mean, definitely there'll be some good stuff lost for sure with this um, with this change. You know, uh, no arguments there. Like you say, particularly the historical period pieces. Those are not necessarily going to be the largest money ba- money makers, you know. Um, and so that's you know where they get the support in in this fashion. Mm-hmm. Um, but on the other hand, like when I think of when I think of the BBC, um, I think of Doctor Who and Top Gear, mm-hmm. both of which have been destroyed. So I mean, maybe maybe Doctor Who has a turnaround. I don't know, but you know, it's been a real disappointment for a while now. And then Top Gear, you know, they kicked out the guys that make Top Gear. Mm -hmm. And so no one cares about Top Gear anymore. Like Top Gear was a thing. Like that's a big deal. And yeah, it's kind of like America tried to do the American Top Gear. No one watched it. They tried to do actual Top Gear again. No one watched it. So the things that my connection points with, Mm -hmm. um, with the BBC, um, have already been suffering greatly. And then I guess stuff like um, Sherlock Holmes, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. But um, 
But at the same time, I, um, I'm totally good with a non, uh, forcibly funded, um, like television program. It's kind of like public radio here or whatever kind of thing. I do like that the, um, that was a known fee that you have to pay. So you like would understand that this amount is going to fund this, you Mm -hmm. know, that's nice. Um, versus just like, um, well, we're taking some chunk of it somewhere that's just collectively like gone taxes. in. And, yeah, right. So I like the idea that you have to write the check, but I don't like the idea that you're forced to write the check for maybe a channel that you have no value in or you have no appreciation for or whatever. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's uh, to me, it's uh, we're going to lose some good things, but it's kind of a long time coming. and. Um, Hopefully, hopefully there'll be some other, um, there's enough desire for what the BBC created that they'll be able to, um, either the BBC what's left or others will be able to, uh, fund future product projects. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what, it doesn't sound like the BBC is going away entirely. It's not like immediately collapsing, um, after this goes through, which doesn't sound like it's happening yet for another three or four years, possibly five. I, I d- didn't read it quite as closely as I should have, I guess. Um, so yeah, so it's obviously not going away immediately. And it and it didn't intimate that like these deep cuts were the end of the channel. Right. So I hope that they're I hope that they're still able to keep things like I mean, they might not be able to do um you know, Doctor Who anymore, because I know the, those episodes have just gotten like wildly out of control production cost wise. Right. Um, so maybe, you know, maybe it's a good thing to force that series to kind of like take a pause, evaluate itself. Maybe it goes back to like, you know, I don't know, back to its roots where, you know, special effects weren't as heavily involved and it was more, you know, kind of grounded um, and episodic. Um Yep. But I hope it still I hope it does still offer things. Like I said, I know I, I particularly enjoy the period dramas. Um mm-hmm. I do I do love that the BBC often will pair with public theater and offer, you know, filmed performances of what's going on at like the Globe, yep. um, or Shakespeare's Theater in Stratford upon Avon. Like I do love those kinds of things where it's like this is just like a public arts channel for for things that aren't necessarily accessible um they seem like they should be um but they they just aren't because you know they're not located exactly where people can get to or also because tickets are are high enough that you know somebody can't just like justify spending that type of money to go out to a play for an evening but like oh it appears on the bbc like i've already paid my you know 160 quid a year or whatever or 160 pounds um yeah i'll watch that because i really want to mm-hmm. so you know isn't yeah. it um like i think that um to me this seems like an opportunity for you know just as we were talking with game pass where not everything is the headlining project mm-hmm. the thing that gets the most money or right. the thing that everybody's willing to dump all their money into for but that fills out a product to me it seems like a lot of this stuff is is great character 
to a subscription service. So whatever that becomes or whatever, I think there's a lot of opportunity to have those things available and, um, you know, get these niche things in someplace else that just fills out a, a library of things. Um, mm -hmm. also I'll say that, so the license fee will be abolished completely in 2027. That's the year. Okay. Um, so it's it is done. five years. And the, also this statement here from the guardian, um, the BBC will have to negotiate with the government over an entirely new funding model when the final license fee funding deal expires in 2027 with potential okay. options, including a subscription service, part privatization or direct government funding. So basically they're going to be coming up to this. They have their five year time. We really don't know what's going to happen. You know, sure. um, my, my radical self is for like, yeah, like make them stand on their own two feet, but there's a very real possibility that, they're going to have something else. Otherwise, I remember wanting to watch Doctor Who and having difficulty because I didn't have access to iPlayer or whatever, you know, in the thing. Right. So I had to wait for the, you know, a perfect opportunity to open, open this up to international audiences, give people things at the exact same time. You don't have to make certain deals with U.S. distribution or whatever. I was going to say, they did try that, didn't they? There was like a BBC like offering of like a subscription service to the BBC in America. And it did not go well. If I okay. recall correctly. Um, I think they tried to do their own like channel. And I, I don't remember exactly how it was marketed, marketed. Um, but I know that it wasn't done well because people were very confused about how to access it and like what sort of like add on it was. I know you can add mm. it on to like Amazon prime or at least you could at one point because I got offers through there, but it was very confusing and sure. just did not go well. So maybe, maybe this will force it to like get its shit together and make it yeah. more clear how like, you know, international right. audiences can subscribe to BBC. Now, one thing I don't know is if this extends, cause I know there's lots of BBC, lots of different yeah. channels. Yeah. If there's like seven or eight different channels. Yeah. So, um, I assume the license fee is for funding all of it. Um, you know, the, the biggest thing I would have, uh, I guess opposed to it is the, um, obviously, I mean, I watched the BBC historically, I've watched it quite a bit, uh, mm -hmm. news things and stuff, but right. it's also in my book, a pretty big conflict of interest to have your publicly funded slash government funded news network. Um, that never tastes good to me. But, um, you know, obviously it is a, a plethora of, of, of channels. Like you said, if it's mm -hmm. seven, there's just no mention in this anyways. Um, I guess it's just assumed knowledge at this point. I, all those BBC channels get this funding from the same places. I would imagine. So if, if they're licensed, like under the BBC umbrella, um, at least mm -hmm. in part, I would imagine that they would have to. Yep. Um, well, anyways, surprising, surprising mm -hmm. story kind of came out of nowhere for me. Um, and, uh, it'd be something to follow over the next five years. Mm hmm. Yeah. A very, a very crazy up and down week in the news. Yeah. Um, it's big things. Big deals being made in the gaming world and big deals being taken away in the television world. Yeah. So, right. yeah, nuts. All right. The theme of the night, the theme of the night, 
James Bond. Um, the first a news story that I just mm-hmm. saw in looking things up today. Oh, yeah. January 21st. Mm-hmm. No Time to Die is back in IMAX theaters, supposedly. <laughs> um, I say supposedly because I immediately looked up showtimes and there's um, nothing around us. Okay. I mean, I know they said it was limited, but yeah. I mean, I mean, I guess I didn't really realize how limited that meant. <laughs> yeah, because I didn't get to see this in a theater. I'd love to go see it in IMAX. They shot a whole bunch yeah. of stuff in IMAX. And yeah, they did. In the beginning. In some of the showings, I guess they have a kind of featurette or something beforehand. Mm-hmm. So I I was ready to get a ticket and go, but I don't see it around. Bummer. So. Yeah, I uh, I did see it in the theater, and I really enjoyed it that way. I mean. Okay. Yeah. Was, was it there IMAX was a lot screen? Of... No, it was not. Okay. Okay. No, I saw it at the Alamo. Okay. Well, that's a fun experience too. It was. So, um, so there's that. Um, they're doing this because this year is the 60th anniversary of James Bond. Mm-hmm. Wow, 60 years. So, um, looking good. Yeah, we're going to be talking spoilery about Daniel Craig's run. Mm-hmm. Um, as as James Bond, our most recent James Bond, he's uh, had the the five films under his belt, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, thought we should we should go through them. We should uh, talk about what we love about them, what we hate about them, mm-hmm. our favorites, you know, mm-hmm. what they what they meant to us, all that kind of thing. So um, yeah, without further ado. Daniel Craig, James Bond, Casino Royale. <laughs> oh my gosh. Technically, this was like 16 years ago. If we're thinking like 2022. Like, I mean, I know it's really more like 15 years, but, you know, technically, since we're in a new year, it's 16. And I, I knew we were just yeah. talking before the show. I can't believe it. Mm-hmm. Like... I I just can't believe that this man has been Bond for this long. Yeah. And there haven't been just like a slew of movies. Mm-hmm. There's only been five. Like that's averages out to like once every three years. And I mean, that's the, that's, it feels like that's the pace that movies are made nowadays. Like I know, you know, back when Bond started in Connery's time, like it was a lot quicker. Storylines were not as complicated. Like, you could just get everything going and up and running and you could just crank them out. But I just didn't realize how actually long it's been for Daniel Craig. So yeah, a, a salute for a uh, 15 slash 16 years of service. Yeah. I'll, um, I'll say that. So November 17th, 2006, I saw this with your husband down in St. Peter. I know. I don't I don't remember what you were doing, but uh Chris and I had not met yet. What? Really? Yeah. Oh, I suppose I suppose we basically just graduated. Yep, and 2006 so was, was our first, first year of college. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah, okay. Okay. All right. Well, I yeah, I, I will, really don't know what you were doing then. 
<laughs> um, I will say this is one of the first movies when we when we first you know did meet each other um, and started hanging out and realized that we were both you know movie fans. Okay. In love, in love. <laughs> um, no, but you know, both realized that we are like you know movie fans. Um, this yeah. was one of the first movies we did watch together. It wasn't okay. the first, but it was one of the first. Um, because so we it was both... still in theaters. Or no, just... no. Okay, all right. We just saw it like hanging out, you know, watching TV together. Um, so yeah, we both quickly realized that like we were both Bond fans. This is one of Chris's all-time favorite bond movies casino royale um it is high up for me it's not my favorite daniel craig one but it is up there it is definitely chris's favorite daniel craig movie okay okay yeah um yeah i remember going to that kind of small theater in st peter there mm -hmm. with them yep it was it was a good time i remember um though not being enthralled like mm -hmm. i i remember being kind of disappointed with the theme song and sure. then walking away like well that's you know it's pretty good um so it didn't hit until i bought it later watched it again and watched it again and i don't i am i don't i don't know what happened to me because i love the theme song mm -hmm. and this is one of my favorite movies ever I, um, wow, not just wrong. Yeah. I mean, it's, <laughs> um, I say that because when people ask me, what's your favorite movie or whatever, it comes up on something, you know, um, I usually now say Jurassic Park. Okay. But I've also in the back of my mind, always considered saying Casino Royale because sure. of how many times I've watched it. Sure. I've watched this movie so many times and never mm -hmm. gotten sick of it and always mm -hmm. love it. And um, so, yeah, I don't know. I have, I absolutely love this. I think that it's pretty incredible that, so this movie was directed by Martin Campbell and mm -hmm. he also directed Goldeneye. So he is in charge of love essentially Goldeneye. two soft reboots, two mm -hmm. first films for a new bond. And uh, you know, Goldeneye was the first to introduce. She's on screen now. Uh, M. Judy Dench is M. Uh, uh, and so good. Yeah. Um, so it's just a lot of firsts for him, and that quite obviously that's quite a challenge to to manage. And quite a challenge, times, but if I may boldly say, Martin's crushing it. Yes. Because I absolutely love Goldeneye, and I absolutely love Casino Royale. It did, yeah. like you, take me a second viewing to love it, but I do. I absolutely do. Mm -hmm. For all you youngins out there, realize <laughs> the iPhone wasn't out yet when this movie came out. <laughs> like, it does not feel that long ago. Right? Look at it. Look at his old phone. Look at I that know. clunky well, old hit... thing. S like clunky uh, but Sony tiny Erickson's. at the same time. Yeah. Like it's bulky yeah. but but like thin. Oh mm -hmm. my god! Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I I think this movie has a has a great score. I think it has Eva mm -hmm. uh, Green is one of the best Bond girls. She I absolutely agree. nails her role. Um, this movie brings an emotional weight that is absent from a lot of Bond films. Um, 
a, vo- a validity. They bring back Aston Martin mm-hmm. for cars. Um, and we were getting some kind of hokey BMWs for a while. Um, they had some cool Jaguars in the one before, but you know, yep. And they turned invisible. And I think that was the first one they brought Aston Martin back in, but it was like, yeah, felt real here and respectful. Um, I don't know. So much yeah. good about this movie. Yeah, to to bring back our old favorite phrase, um, the the end of Pierce Brosnan's run uh, definitely jumped the shark a little bit. Yeah. Um, obviously, you know, Bond's always had access to cool technologies and like, you know, things that us mere mortals, you know, could not dream of. Um, Q just, you know, thinks up amazing gadgets for our favorite uh, super spy here. But yeah, I think I think they kind of realized that they'd really gone overboard um, in Die Another Day with the invisible car. Yeah, and I I appreciated um, the step back into reality. Yeah, here in Casino Royale, um, reality but still cool. You know what I mean? There there yep. wasn't a total abandonment, but there was definitely like, let's make sure we're a little more grounded. And uh, I think this this movie nailed yep. it really well. I, I do have to say I feel bad that John Cleese didn't get more time as follow-up Q, you know? Oh, uh, I know. But, um, you know, it's the way it's got to be. And, um, yeah, uh, Mads Mikkelsen is Le Chief, does great. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we got Felix Leiter back in here. Mm-hmm. I don't have a lot of complaints, you know? I don't like, I don't like the sunglasses that Bond wears in this film very much. I have a complaint about that. Sure. Um, and, and I don't know. I, I guess the other thing would be that the poker scene scenes, though done very well, mm-hmm. are, a, they do go on a bit long. Sure. You know, but. Sure. Yeah, I think, um, in thinking about this movie, I think for a lot of people, it was difficult to wrap their heads around because Pierce Brosnan had been um, such a refined, polished Bond that it was hard to get into like a Bond that was a little more slugged out, a little more gritty, a little more real, you know... We're we're not afraid to like get into street brawls and and you know kill people with our bare hands, um, which is just something that like Pierce Brosnan wouldn't do, you know. Right. Um, so I think that there was a lot of like shock for people in like getting to this sort of like origin story where Bond is brutal. Bond is you know out there fighting for his life, literally. He's yep. not just like happened to be in some like cute little tussle and then has a quippy one-liner as somebody dies. Um, So I think it was a pretty hard left turn, but I, but I really enjoyed that. I really enjoyed getting back to a more real and grounded and gritty bond who wasn't like totally sure of himself, wasn't obviously going to win every fight. There felt like there were stakes again for what Mm -hmm. he was doing. And like, there was very real possibilities that he was going to lose. And yeah. if we think about the ending, he did. I right. mean, he he won fights, but he lost 
a larger battle in terms of, you know, our Bond girl, Vesper Lind. Yep, right. Which I think was another tough thing to take, you know, coming from a string of movies where it was like Bond girl, Bond girl, Bond girl, you know. Yeah. They're very disposable. Now this one means something, yeah. This one means something. It's really hard for people because they do associate Bond as like such a playboy. It's like having a meaningful, deeper, deeper relationship almost is just like off kilter. It's off putting. It's what? Like, you know, why does she get to mean something? Well, but see, that's part of what I liked about this movie that um, yeah. we'll get about get to where that messed up in the next one. But like mm. um, they we're seeing the origins of James becoming a double O. And so right. he's not I, I liked the excuse that he's not quite as refined. He's not, you know, he's not always winning his the the it opens up with him failing miserably. Absolutely. Like getting caught at an embassy. Like, what are you doing? You know, M gives him a real talking to all that kind of thing. So there's a lot of lessons learned here. And this explains a lot of ways um, his uh, loose womanizing nature. When you have an impactful relationship like this, you lose that trust you're betrayed Mm -hmm. and then lose her even though you loved her incredibly like of course that those are the kind of things that leave scars and someone that's in a line of profession where you don't live very long Mm -hmm. it kind of really adds up to making sense for the character you know right imbibing and a lot of vices and a lot of women you know to not Mm -hmm. only cover the emotional trauma but just like kind of pushing aside like well i made this mistake before not happening again Mm -hmm. yeah like you said i i really loved the opening on failure um Mm -hmm. because it it does remind us that like james bond isn't invincible and it it does convince us that there are stakes because he can lose and we've just watched him do it um it was actually (laughs) not to go backwards, but it was actually one of the things I absolutely loved about die another day before it took a huge dive Mm, was the opening where he gets caught. Loved it. I was like, Oh my God, this is so different. He failed. He was betrayed. Like he didn't win. Um, it was so unusual, especially in the Pierce Brosnan era. And then, you know, the, the movie just took a hard left but I feel like Martin Campbell must have been like paying attention to that because he essentially does the same thing in Casino Royale yep. to better effect. Yep. Yep. Um, I, right before we move on to the next film, Quantum of Solace, mm-hmm. I want to plug um, a thing on YouTube called Being James Bond. It's on the James Bond 007 YouTube page. I watched okay. quite a bit of this before we went live. I didn't quite get done with it. It's like 45 minutes or something like that. But um, it's basically about Daniel Craig's ten- tenor and uh, tenure here. And it, it's um, mm-hmm. they go through some of the films and talk about hardships and whatnot and how brutal the media and people were to him when it was announced that he was being cast. Like everything. <laughs> like it was a whole big thing about me. being being blonde and uh then the royal navy made him wear a life jacket when he was boated up to the press and like all kinds of things and i guess it stemmed from some kids that really didn't approve 
putting a whole bunch of rumors and all kinds of things that weren't true online. It really got the press reported on all of it mm-hmm. like it was true. And it kind of got to him. It got to the crew. Mm-hmm. Um, spirits were down and he sort of like, he kind of made a turning point that I'm just going to, all right, we're just going to crack on and forget about, forget about this because he had confidence in the script. They said the turning point was they had some people like burying themselves in the sand on the beaches, try, paparazzi trying to like, you know, wait overnight to then like be able to pop up to get a picture, you know, when they're filming. Jesus. And someone got the picture of him walking out of the water in his swimsuit. And <laughs> okay. with that, all of a sudden, the media changed. Everybody is okay. like, you know, blonde, blonde, blonde hunk you know all kinds of headlines and stuff and so it completely turned around and uh yeah so i i mean i want part of me wants to say i can't believe people are so superficial like that but then the other part of me is like i was definitely when dana craig was first announced like you have a blonde bond i i mean (laughs) Yeah, physically, like, it just didn't fit my picture of James Bond, Mm -hmm. so I had a hard time with it. Did that mean I was going to, like, shun the character and, like, shun Daniel Craig? No, I was still going to go see Casino Royale. But, yeah, like, I think physical depictions do matter, and and when it doesn't line up in your mind with the way you want it to, sure. Like, I can see that there were detractors on that. Do I think it needed to get to such a level? No. No. Like, obviously, people right. need to, like, take a chill. But, yeah, I mean, I think, but I th- I also think part of my hesitation stemmed from uh, Roger Moore's tenure as James Bond. Like, right, sure. Like, the combo of suddenly having a blonde, blue-eyed Bond with, I think, the overarching silliness of some of the Roger Moore scripts hmm. made me wary that, you know... Obviously, we didn't come off of a really strong outing for Bond in Die Another Day. So I was like, oh, God, like, what's yeah. going to happen here? You know, Absolutely. are we going to have a, are we going to lean harder into that? But no, mm-hmm. I was I was think very convinced much, once I actually saw him. Think how much this how much harder that would have been. Again, this came out before the iPhone, the Internet. I mean, obviously, oh it had been God. around, but but yeah. in a way, in its infancy, what about now with Twitter and everything like how right. this, you know, and now it's every it. I don't know. It's uh, so. Yeah. Yeah. But that's Casino Royale, the 21st entry officially in the James Bond run an 80 on Metacritic critic and made worldwide six hundred and sixteen million dollars. Um, two years later, also in November, was Quantum of Solace. Womp, um, womp. <laughs> so Quantum of Souls, directed by Mark Forrester. Um, this one reflected in the Metacritic uh, 58 um, yeah. and did not make quite as much money either at $589 million. Um, This one was interesting. I've talked about it before, how it was, they were dealing with writer's strike and mm-hmm. they were worried about an upcoming actors strike Mm -hmm. so when they started filming uh, i just found this out on that uh, youtube thing again is they really didn't have a solid script they started Mm -hmm. shooting and they really didn't have much of a script but they're like if we don't do this 
we're going to be in limbo for, I don't know. So they really kind of hammered things out on the go. Mm. And I was refreshing in this little kind of documentary. They admitted a lot of their mistakes and that this okay. one didn't turn out the way they wanted. And they, you know, they're saying it focused too much on plot and not story. So it's like point A, point P, point C, you know, without mm -hmm. like making it mean something. Right. How do we get there? And yeah. So, um, yeah. Well, I mean, what are your over? Uh, obviously, I can tell. And I, I mean, I know. <laughs> what, what, what is your, what are your overall so thoughts? At, what, what are the things that are disappointing to you? Are there anything, anything is redeemable? Um, I mean, I, I enjoyed like the overarching exploration of, um, you know, Spectre. I enjoyed like the fact that Bond didn't get over Vesper Lynn's death, which I think is a, is a running theme to more and lesser extent throughout Daniel Craig's tenure. Um, so I, I love that that character meant something because to me, she was one of the very big impactful parts of Casino Royale. And to see that like storyline carry over, I thought was really cool because it was a commitment to a different type of bond that wasn't just like, you know, even though we showed you like this big emotional relationship in the last one is he's just going to be like, love him or leave him. Um, I mean, yes, he has new Bond girls and um, there's there's relationships there, but there's still like a pain that carries over. Yeah. And I felt that that was like really great emo emotional depth for Craig to explore. So, I mean, I thought performance wise, there were solid moments in Quantum of Solace. But like you said, there was no real aim. There was no real point and focus for this script it was very like wandery and things connected point a to point b to point c but you were like i don't really know why i care that point a to point b to point c happened like i know that bond did things we traveled here now we're there but but what are we actually doing this this film felt very lost um sure. And, and as a result, it lost me as an audience member and I, I lost, you know, my, my investment in the movie. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. I, I agree with those things. I think that, um, my biggest overall complaint is that when we talk about what he dealt with, with Vesper in the previous film, um, he also he also has a fling that you know he uses his wiles to get information out of a woman in that uh f film as well and yeah it's he kind of and then she dies you know so it's he's again learning these lessons um that i feel at the end of casino royale my thought was well now he's the james bond we're familiar with mm -hmm. like he's he's steeled his heart you know, he is, um, he's not going to have those, that emotional element It is going to be jump from woman to woman, you know, whatever. He's just like, we saw how he coldened and, um, sealed mm -hmm. himself off. And so now we're going to kind of have that, but instead we got a really, um, angsty, angry bond 
that was sloppy still, you know, that uh, he, he let the, his anger get the best of him to try to achieve whatever he was trying to get done. You know, he really threw things in, in M's face and didn't, you know, though she, they had been earning a trust and respect kind of um, mm -hmm. like, um, I'm blanking on the word for it, but let that slide in this one. And um, so I didn't like the bond I saw, and I didn't think it was consistent yeah. with a character path forward after the previous film. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like you said, um, his relationship with M really deteriorated, and yeah. it wasn't, it didn't feel like it served any actual purpose. It was, it was Bond being petulant. It was yeah. Bond sort of like being a teenager. Almost, yeah. you know, like this is his like sophomore outing and like, you know, we had Bond as a newbie and now he's like growing pains of, you know, teenagehood or whatever. But it it just didn't feel like an adult who should be um, handling the responsibilities right, of a spy working for MI6. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it was just a little like a little cringe you know, sure. to, to use some popular terminology. Yeah. I mean, another thing Daniel Craig addressed in this little documentary is that, um, you know, he's historically had quite been quite hands-on with deciding things, fashion choices, input on cars, lines, all this stuff. And later, later films, you know, he's a producer as well. And, um, in this one, he said that he tried to like work some things out with the director, but he decided to commit himself fully to the stunts. And so like mm. every stunt thing they asked, he said he'd do it like everything. Okay. And so he spent all his time doing that. He didn't help then meaningfully with the script and like fixing that. And in turn, he injured himself pretty badly doing stunts. Sure. So I think he kind of learned from that through him you know and uh yeah i mean we got a film that does have some cool stunts i was gonna say this um, one was particularly action heavy for yeah. sure but unfortunately again it didn't feel like action that meant something overall yep. mm -hmm. and it was a thing a bond where in a lot of ways it lost its identity i've said this a lot in the past mm -hmm. where it bond is best when it's being bond and not imitating something else and kind of a popular thing or well-known other spy now was jason Bourne. Mm -hmm. they kind of come into um the cinematic world and it had a different style and a frenetic fight sequence kind of thing and there was direct things in here that felt very pulled from Mm -hmm. uh from born and we even some of the lo locations i think morocco was in both um and then rooftop chase and the way they did the fights and the camera were, like it just felt like desperate to take that bit mm -hmm. of uh popular content now and mm -hmm. do this version of it and it, it just felt like an imitation then yeah so. i mean i feel like you know kind of knowing the context of where this film was placed, um, you know, with like the writer strike and, you know, the fear of an actor strike, this was just sort of like Frankenstein together. And it's yep. really unfortunate. Um, it is. I feel like it just should have been scrapped altogether. Like 
they shouldn't yep. have just tried to like rush it through because yeah, like you said, that if they started with this sort of like, we don't even have a fully fleshed out script where we're just going to start shooting. Oh, yeah, let's, you know, fill in the gaps with like a lot of random fight sequences. Oh, let's like fill yeah. this in and try to like, you know, hide some of our, our gaps and errors with, you know, imitating a Jason Bourne style and audiences will be like, oh, my God, you know, it's mm-hmm. just like that. How cool. I loved that. It it does feel like this this, you know. I don't know, this kind of like identityless, floating yeah. generic action film um that that doesn't rightfully belong in the Bond sequence, but unfortunately it just is. Yep. Now I will say that um positives. Um because mm-hmm. of the way this film is, I don't mind putting this one in ever and just having it on because um I do enjoy um i think there's a step up in cinematography or they starts to get a little more focused on beautiful like there's Mm -hmm. some cool architecture that's focused on Mm -hmm. and uh i like that also i think the fashion takes a step up i don't Mm -hmm. know which one pierce brosnan used to wear brioni suits a lot and i think Mm -hmm. and 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 daniel craig got known for wearing tom ford yep i don't know if this is the film that switched um, I feel like it did. If not, they had different, different tailor or something. Suits were better. We're getting to the ver, we're verging on too tight on some of them. Um, but ultimately sunglasses were better. Shoes were better. Like the suits were better. Like the more focus on car, like all the, all the fun stuff, fashiony, materialistic things were getting mm-hmm. better. Yes. And so I enjoyed that from this film. So. Yes. Visual eye candy definitely took a step up. Yeah. Yep. Um, all right. Quantum Assault's done. Now we have a bit of a break. Uh, it's a bit of a break. So 2008 yeah. to 2012. Mm-hmm. Um, Skyfall. The 23rd film in the franchise, officially November 9th, 2012, directed by Sam Mendes, mm-hmm. 81 Metacritic. This one broke a billion dollars. Yes, it did. And rightfully so. Yes. This is absolutely my favorite Daniel Craig Bond film, hands down. Um, I'm not going to pretend like Casino Royale isn't a close second, but if if you ask me to choose, Skyfall is it. Now, okay. is that partially because I am a Judy Dench stan? Probably. <laughs> Probably. Uh, I won't lie. I love that, like, M gets to take a step forward and have, like, you know, an actual storyline. And it, one that, like, yeah. really matters and matters also to bond in a meaningful way. Like everything about this script, this story just tied together amazingly. And I thought played on some beautiful chemistry between Daniel Craig and Judy Dench, not just as M and bond, but as yeah. people. Yep. It just, everything that was missing from Quantum of Solace just got poured into Skyfall and yep. made for a brilliant story. Yep. 
Agreed. Every, everything is a step up here. You know, and when mm-hmm. I say Casino Royale is one of my favorite movies ever, it's funny because Skyfall is better. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, it's, it is, it does so much right. We have a theme song with an opening mm-hmm. that is great. Um, we have a, uh, and honestly, almost elevating the theme song of a Bond mm-hmm. film, like creating a new standard in a way. Like mm-hmm. we just, um, we have cinematography really going up a notch. Mm-hmm. There are some gorgeous things in this film. Um, I think that this was where Quantum of Solace suffered from an identity crisis. We had the Bourne films was competing against the Mission Impossible films that are all about trying to have the next craziest stunt that they can, mm-hmm. that Tom Cruise can train himself to do. This is like uh, luxury, premium. We had we we sat on shots of uh, you know ships and stuff, um, you know the neon lights of certain mm-hmm. buildings in like China or wherever they go. Uh, there's just a lot to really like here. Mm-hmm. Again, suits and stuff are on point. This the, sh- the movie just feels premium and mm-hmm. luxurious. It's not trying to have an action sequence every other moment. Mm-hmm. Um, like you say, the story makes sense. Uh, we have him on screen now. Javier Bardem uh, mm-hmm. playing the the villain here was that perfect line of unique and a little zany. But mm-hmm. creepy and cool too, you know. It's it's a good blend. You can have the, you know, meme or the how what's the better word for it? The really cartoon mustache twirling kind of comic book villain. Oh yeah, that, like mustache villain. Can, yeah, can go uh, towards. It's like but, snidely whiplash or something like that. It's like the very yeah. like twirly mustachios. <laughs> yeah. So this just has the right amount of like uniqueness um, to mm-hmm. him impactful story um like you say the re- you point out perfectly the relationship between M and bond it's a re- great closing for her mm-hmm. um i just don't know what i don't like about this movie it's also it's interesting how two movies later we go from the introduction of how james bond is becoming a double o to two movies later this was i guess one issue i guess it feels like there should have been more films in between because now we're dealing with, have you lost a step? That's the right. Moment. Like he's in, he's like testing his cardio again, doing the training. He's missing the targets and stuff like that. I am a sucker for that kind of story. And mm-hmm. it also grounds Bond in a great way. Um, right. Again, so. the, the, the failure, the yeah. non-superhuman, you know, you've yep. lost a step. I, I agree with you. If you, if Bond were one of the things that we could do in binge culture, it would feel absolutely shocking. The, you know, are you missing a step um, mm-hmm. movie coming just two films after his introduction? Yeah. Because there were an actual number of physical years <laughs> between mm-hmm. these movies, um, there's six years between his introduction and his missing a step. It felt like a really long time as an audience member. Yeah. So I, I, did buy it um, in the sense of the opening sequence setting up really well that James Bond has, you know, been doing things over these years that we haven't seen him. He's grown into his role and 
you know, not only is it, is it just like out of the blue, have you lost a step? It's like, have you lost a step because somebody shot you <laughs> mm-hmm. during a mission and, you know, like you decided to just like fall off the face of the earth and do nothing. Um, so, yeah, so I thought it was a really clever way to like acknowledge the passing of time plus yep. like external factors. Yep. This movie also does something really amazing that um, it both at once feels like an end of an era. And we do get that with with Judy Dench's M going away. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, a really new beginning. Yes. Um, it, when it's done, it doesn't feel different. I feel more at home than ever. Mm-hmm. Like we have we have uh, he's on screen now. We have new Q. We have Money Penny. We have mm-hmm. new M coming in. Ray Fiennes coming in. Um, it's it's all new, but at the end we get the like leather bound door, you know, and stuff, and just the familiar office. Mm-hmm. They're like calling back to older Bond films. It just feels right, and yes. I would have been completely content with this being Daniel Craig's last film. I agree. It's it felt like it, somehow the beginning and the end. And it just, mm-hmm. I, it was just, I don't know. I can't really rave about this movie enough. I think if you're looking at and want to study action films, this is, this is the one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would absolutely have to agree with you. Um, I mean, going back to what you we were talking about earlier in terms of action sequences, there are both cool things that are, you know, um, kind of blow your mind types of stunts. Like when we're in like those high rise buildings and, you know, James Bond is like scaling the elevators and we're almost falling out. And like all of those moments are like, whoa, crazy moments. But then when you, when you get back to the titular Skyfall and the, the basically hunting lodge that it's become, um, not yeah. not so much a manor house anymore. It's just like an old fashioned shootout. I mean, it's so grounded and real, yeah. but you're so. But by that point, you're so emotionally invested that it feels it gets your heart pumping just as much as those like riskier, crazier stunts do. You're just yep. so invested in the action. So. Yep. Yep. Exactly. All right. We're in agreement. Um, <laughs> so that brings us to Spectre. Spectre. Mm-hmm. Um, we have three years then, November 6th, um, 2015. Mm-hmm. Also directed by Sam Mendes. But this mm-hmm. one drops down to a 60 Metacritic. Mm-hmm. Um, and $880 million. Um, Still, I mean, the second highest grossing. Yeah. I mean... Coming off of Skyfall, how can you not get people into the seats, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and you can advertise it, same director. Right. I mean, um, well, how did you feel about this one? Um, I felt like I ended up liking this movie more than I thought, but it was hard not to be let down after the pinnacle that was Skyfall. When I, when I, so when I really sat down and thought about it, I think my initial reaction was, was disappointment, but I had expected disappointment. 
Um, and when I sat down and thought about it, I thought that there were elements that I liked more than I thought I would. And overall, I liked the movie better than I thought I would. But that's that was grounded by the fact that I knew I was never going to like it as much as Skyfall. Okay. Yeah. So it was very complicating. Yeah. Yeah. It was a very, it was a very, you know, it was a, it was a difficult thing to do because like you said, it felt so much like Daniel Craig could go out after Skyfall and there was kind of a possibility that he would, you know, um, I know in this one particular also, he kind of put his body on the line and had done a lot of different stunts and was like physically exhausted, emotionally exhausted with playing Bond. Um, but I had also felt that way about Quantum of Solace. And so I thought perhaps Skyfall would be. And then Spectre was coming and okay, it's not going to be, you know, Daniel Craig's last outing. Um, yeah, there, there were a lot of mixed emotions with this movie. I agree. Mixed emotions is the way to say it because... Um when I would have been, I love Daniel Craig. And so it would have been sad for me to see him be done with Skyfall. Mm -hmm. I would have been okay with that. And going on to this, I'm like, well, okay, we have the same director. So I kind of, that kind of got my hopes up. Right. When I first saw in a theater, I profess, I enjoyed it quite a bit, but I also had had quite a bit to drink. So <laughs> my, interpretation uh, upon initial viewing was Having not a good the time. Most... Yeah. <laughs> and I think what stands up for this film is again, the cinematography and the opening mm -hmm. sequence in Mexico city. Having yes. the Dele oh, de los Muertos costumes and the whole, th that was great. I really liked it. Um, I agree. But then the film kind of, um, for me again, it had a lot of promise. Christoph Waltz, I think, is a great cast as a Blofeld, mm -hmm. um, but incredibly underutilized. Yes. Um, this, is, this is probably a villain that should have been set up a couple films ago, background entity, and then um, we spent set some up better, time. I think you mean. Yeah. Right. Because like we, right. we had reference, we had mention, but we didn't have any like real understanding. Yeah. Right. Because the organization that uh, I forget what's his face, they're like trying to destabilize places and they get all their mm -hmm. water rights and all that stuff in Quantum of Solace. Like, you know, we see, yeah, the big picture here. Mr. Spectre. Green, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Mm hmm. Um, but I, yeah, ultimately, Blofeld feels wasted. Um, yes. And the film came down to a plot that felt too generic. Uh, it was too... Um, I forgot what exactly the, th the threat was. We got a picture of him on the screen right now, Moriarty. Um, it, but he's... Um, um, what were they... They were trying to do... It's like, like a data privacy thing was mm -hmm. kind of the issue they were tackling in this film. And I just don't remember how it went down exactly. Yeah. But it came came to me to be too much of someone's going to destroy the world, Bond has to stop them, we're going to have a big explosion at the end. And it just didn't, I don't know. 
it felt it felt hollow to me after a while. All right, Alan gave us, let's see. Um, Max Denby, have a new joint intelligence service and agent for Spectre, heavily involved with their plan to merge nine, nine national intelligence agencies right. into oh yeah. That's right. Okay. So that's like that's a cool setup, I think. I just yeah, I don't know. Execution. Oh, the first time I watched it again, I enjoyed it quite a bit. I second time I watched it, I really thought it was kind of a letdown. Mm-hmm. The the gadgets and gags didn't uh, work for me as much that they tried to incorporate. Um, I thought it was cool to have Monica Bellucci in there, mm-hmm. um, but she wasn't in there for long. Um, Leah Sado, I I simp for Leah Sado, so I guess that's a big positive for me. But um, <laughs> but yeah, I I I I should watch it again. But yeah, it's a mixed bag. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I was reading a little bit about, you know, the uh, the the plot. Um, and like you said, I mean, and like Alan, thank you, helpfully provided. Um, it is a lot about like intelligence gathering and who gets to have like this sort of ultimate, you know, surveillance weapon. Um, and is Spectre going to be the one to like take it over? Um from this person who's developed it. It's not always super clear to me in this film how everybody ties in. They just sort of like throw a lot of names at you um, and just sort of like, this person is like developing this thing. So now you have to go see this person who's going to like take you to the next clue. It's, you know, it's it's a lot to absorb and it asks you to take a lot on faith without explaining a lot about how specter works what specter means what like blofeld who and what he means in like the bond lore um you know like you said i think christoph waltz was woefully underutilized in this film um so yeah so it it makes the film makes a lot of leaps and expects the audience to get there and i and we've talked before about how we hate like spoon feeding the audience, but I think this film holds a little bit too much back from the audience. Okay. Well, they don't hold back in terms of gadgets because that was another point that lost yeah. me was when he's like being tortured and there's some complicated yes. ice coming around. Share things. Like, yeah, this is unnecessary. It's not. Nope. Nope. I felt like it was like a weird callback but also update to exactly goldfinger yes and i didn't need it no no it was poor it was poor update slash substitution you expect me to talk no (laughs) mr bond i expect you to die i expect you to die yeah so so that's that one um Mm -hmm. then we have another sizable break yes i mean six years Wow, right? Yeah. Um, no Time to Die, the newest one, the one okay. that's uh, maybe the biggest spoiler warning for everybody. Before before we get into it, I just have okay. to say I can make no promises that I will not at some point call this No Time to Kill. Okay. So <laughs> if I do, please know I still mean No Time to Die. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, I will know what you mean. No Thank Time you. to Die, the... 
25th entry in the Bond franchise, um, directed by Kerry Joji Fukunaga, 68 mm -hmm. Metacritic score, took in 774 million, so mm -hmm. less than the previous entry, the second most for a film, I believe, from 2021. Mm -hmm. And I hope that it, this is still in some second run theaters or whatever. Sure. And, um, and then there is that supposed to be limited re-release -re in IMAX today. Right. So hopefully that's available somewhere. I'm, <laughs> I'm hoping that this movie can, can creep up a little further yet. Um, what do you think of it? I really enjoyed it. Actually, um, I think part of the enjoyment for me was start to finish knowing this movie was a swan song for Daniel Craig, and mm. it really felt like it was a platform designed for that. And so I felt like a lot of the pressure for me was taken off where I could just like sit back and enjoy Daniel Craig as Bond like enjoy some fan servicey things to sort of like you know do a little head nod to different parts of his tenure as bond and not have to worry too much about plot but in the end the plot surprised me for being stronger than i thought it was going to be sure so like yeah. there i was pleasantly surprised at like hey, this is like a plot I think I actually care about. Um, it's a good story. It's not maybe um, the most grounded in reality that, you know, Bond has ever been, but like it's a credible threat. It's immediate. It makes sense where everything is coming from. And um, I think the only real major drawback for me was... Rami Malek, his okay. villain, um, just didn't have a lot going for him. He was so interesting as a concept, but I don't think he was given enough to do. Okay. I mean, maybe, maybe it was like Remy Malek's acting choices. I don't know, but I just didn't really feel threatened by him. Okay. All right. Sure. Um, yeah, I, um, again, this is the first Bond film in a long time that I didn't see right away in theaters, basically. Mm -hmm. And I had, I've expressed before being very disheartened at sort of the early press and the, the weird, like mm -hmm. roller coaster ride of a, uh, release cycle. Yes. Stop, start kind of thing. Um, it was, it was pretty. And then my disappointment in the last film, I think if mm -hmm. I had really loved the last film, uh, I, th I think I could have weathered those ups and downs better, but I really wasn't super anxious to see this sadly as a big bond fan. Mm -hmm. So when I got to watch it, um, I, was pleasantly surprised. I really liked it. I thought it was uh, was very well done. Um, mm -hmm. I'd never heard of this director. It's very young. Mm -hmm. um, and 
I don't have a lot of complaints. <laughs> um, things, I, it does, you're right, it does feel like um, there's a lot of appreciation for the past, a lot of head nods and stuff like that. There is a portrait at one point of previous M in the hallway. That's mm -hmm. great. I kept getting theme song notes from other Bond films throughout mm -hmm. the film. I'd be like, mm -hmm. I can't quite place which one that's from, but it's mm -hmm. being used here. So I appreciate Hans Zimmer's effort in that. And the film yep. actually wraps up with just straight a song from a different Bond film. Mm -hmm. um, it does. So I think that's cool as well. Um, Le Motif, what's, uh, what's that, Alan? Am I missing something? I'm out of the loop here. Um, there is, uh, see. Yeah, it's a, it's a, yep. Oh, redominant recurring theme. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yep. It's, um. It's like what you associate, like with, you know, it's like a musical passage that you associate, like Darth Vader. Yeah. Do you, do you immediately hear music in your head? Right. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Or Jaws yep. or whatever. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So like, it's a, it's a basically a musical association. Yep. Yep. I mean, how do you see a shark and not think those Dunner. few notes? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, I think the, you know, Bond films are known for their crazy openings and had a good opening shot, like scene. It was uh, just the way the camera worked on it and stuff. Again, keeping up some of the cinematography values there. Um, we have all the time in the world. Using that line, I wrote mm -hmm. that one down. Um, let's see what else I like. I, and they had, um, I liked seeing Felix back, you know, and I thought it was kind of a good comedic too. relief to have uh, that annoying guy they called the Book of Mormon, whoever. Um, that was oh, fun. Oh, Logan Ash. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, I was proud of myself. I I was looking at the phones in this film. It's like, okay, what kind of phone is this? Because Sony doesn't have anything to do with these films now. Mm -hmm. This film is nothing to do with Sony. And I, it's like, is it Nokia or Motorola? And then later they showed it was Nokia. So I was happy about that. Um, <laughs> uh, he had lots of puns in here. Mm -hmm. Puns galore. So, yeah, I liked a lot. It was emotional. Again, Leah Sadoa being back, wrapping up that story. I thought that was, they started the movie off emotionally. Um, mm -hmm. having that split was, uh, was a pretty powerful. And then it gave a lot of weight to Billy Eilish's song uh, yes. as well. Like when that credit sequence started to roll and we had that theme, um, it, it meant a lot more all of a sudden. Mm -hmm. Um, so it elevated the theme for me. Yeah. Um, I thought, I thought yeah. Billy Eilish did a really great job. I actually really loved the theme song for this movie. Um, mm -hmm. I wasn't sure I was going to, and then, like you said, it just, it really fit tonally with the film. Um, yeah, really enjoyed the credits. I do have to say, I, I don't know that we mentioned this, but I did love like the film's opening sequence being about Madeline Swan rather than James Bond. Sure. It was yeah. cool. It was an, it was a fun way to like introduce a villain for a film um, and introduce like how important another character was going to be in this film. Um, yep. and again, I thought like beautifully shot, like cinematography yep. was just like on point. Yep. Yep. 
Absolutely. There was a really good, um, I love the focus on the cars. Callbacks mm -hmm. again to, uh, there is a older V8 saloon, Aston Martin. That's, I guess, a callback to one from the Living Daylights, Timothy Dalton film. Uh, DB5, you know, it's, the car chases were really well done. They're very frenetic. Um, mm -hmm. I, I bought them. It was the a right amount of, I don't know, the tension when they're the car's just getting shot at, you know, and Bond's like sitting there like, am I going to, I have another person that I feel has betrayed me, love right. of my life. Like I've let someone right. in again. Am I just going to let him bust through, you know? Right. Do I just like, let it happen? Maybe. Yeah. And so I like that drama. I like mm -hmm. that we get, uh, you know, it's very sad with Felix. Oof. Um, yeah, that was rough. So it's like a lot, they, they managed to do the things that I think they've done best in the Daniel Craig time as Bond and make it emotional, make a, mm -hmm. make there be a meaning things, make there be a weight. Um, mm -hmm. and I think that, uh, this film really brought that back when the last one was missing it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, um, I think there could have been a weariness in this film at using bond has retired again. Um, yes. and now we're like somehow bringing him back for service. And this, this film managed to skirt that really well. You know, like with with mm -hmm. the emotional weight of Madeline's potential betrayal, like you really felt that. Um, and like, you know, Felix being the one to draw Bond back in yep. instead of like MI6 coming after him. I think there was really clever ways of, you know, tugging at our heartstrings in one direction about, you know, we thought, you know, he was riding off into a happily ever after. There's now a betrayal. We can't let it sit too long, though. And now, oh, look, we have another old friend coming back, you know, drawing Bond in. And we need, like, a distraction from this betrayal. Really well done. Yep. Like, nods yep. to Bond's past and also using a familiar trope, but in a better way. Yep. And then we get a really fun, um, I love this sequence in Cuba. And mm -hmm. I think that the uh, the Bond girl we meet here is a lot of fun. She has yes. a, a spice of personality that is, um, she, it's almost like a callback to a ditzy Bond girl of some other films, but then she's like super capable. So it's yes. just, she's just fun. Uh, yes. She's fun to watch and um, their interactions together are good. Yeah, it needed that, that brevity. And yep. uh, this, this provided that so and then it got dark you know just like right bubbling and stuff you know but yeah right no but i mean it, but like you said we needed that break for a little bit because we went through a lot of heavy things in very short order and we needed some lightness we needed some fun we needed some good old-fashioned james bond dressing up going to a party you know yep. have it having a sexy bond girl with him um, like you said, it doesn't mean she can't be capable, um, but, you know, she just needed to just bring it up a little bit and bring Daniel Craig up out of it. Mm -hmm. yep. So, yeah, kudos to Ada Darmus for that. Yep. Um, 
I want to talk a little bit because we've kind of gone through what they mean, our general thoughts, and then the films or whatever. But like, if uh, we can, let's talk a little bit about the the theme of the film and just I put you know like I started writing the quote like "Road to Hell," you know, "Road to Hell is paved with good mm. intentions." So just oh, with sure. the with the idea that this is on M. You know, this is a mm. secret project. It's, uh, you know, always oh, never designed for this kind of thing. You know, when it's pointed out, it could be used for mass genocide and all this stuff. Um, and then you get the dilemma at the end. Like, do we, do I do this? Do I fix my mistake at the expense of my terrible mistake being exposed? You know, mm -hmm. so it's a good character moment for him. But then also just a, a debate, I guess. You know, like, where is the line for good intentions? Where is mm -hmm. the line for this? Like, is it is it understandable for someone to be like, well, we have this this nanotech, essentially, that we can use to eliminate collateral damage. Mm -hmm. We can have very specific targeting um, without with zero um, unintended consequences, right. unintended uh, deaths yeah. and stuff. Yeah. But obviously, that's in the eye of the beholder who wields such great and immense power. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, th I think it's, it's believable enough for, you know, like the, the next stage of development of um, this kind of warfare. Like when you think of where things have already gone, and technologies that we already have, like think about, you know, the development of drone strikes. Well, that's, mm -hmm. that was designed to prevent casualties on, you know, on behalf of like the pilot who doesn't need to be there and doesn't need to, you know, get shot back at and therefore die yep. in whatever strike. So we, I feel like human nature is always looking towards developing that technology that is going to do like the necessary thing with the least amount of damage. Yeah. Um, so this felt very believable to me and it felt very real that M developed this, like you said, with good intentions. Um, and us in our outrage in the movie, um, you know, after like it's completely gone awry, we we can still feel that outrage, but we also feel, I think, at least for me, that empathy of like, I know you thought this was going to go well, but like, did you really not think like this could fall into the wrong hands? Like, oh, were you like naive like that? You know, I don't know. It's It's really hard because, you know, Hindsight is twenty twenty, so of course, you know, us in the movie seeing how badly it all goes, it's like, obviously this was always going to go terribly, but, you know, it's, it is at times hard to fault someone for those good intentions. Like, like I think about um, uh, Avengers, Age of Ultron, Tony Stark, like, develops Ultron with this really great intention of, you know, like keeping the peace and like what if you know avengers didn't have to respond to all these threats and you know it, like lives weren't on the line like this and we could stop threats before they start terribly terribly wrong but the intention 
there is good? Well, uh, look at it this way. And this is very, obviously very much more benign example, but when you're, um, if you have to write a check for something, that's a process. Like it means something because it takes time to write a check. Or if you have to pay someone in cash, you have to get mm -hmm. cash, you see the dollar amounts and you give it to someone. Mm -hmm. If you have a credit card stored in something and you have a game and you have a bunch of microtransactions available to you, it's really easy to just push a button and buy mm -hmm. more and buy more and buy more. It removes all like feeling of consequence. Mm -hmm. And so part of the issue, and I think they've talked about this in Bond movies as well, is with drone strikes or whatever, when you can push a button mm -hmm. and eliminate eliminate a life, the consequence isn't there. No one looks that person in the eye to see them die. No one has to risk their own life. No one has to order their own men to go and risk their own life to do this. That mm -hmm. sets a threshold of importance on the target the goal, whatever, the asset, when the stakes must be worth it, mm -hmm. the risk. So on the one hand, I completely understand the idea of, well, if we can just have robots wage war for us, we can just hit a button and missile strike whoever we feel like, and they're just done without any risk to our own soldiers. And of course, that's easy for someone to say that's not in that risk. Um, the why of course that's a benefit mm -hmm. but to me maybe bigger picture or at least this is the quandary is what i've discussed with the the impact and the understanding the you know needing that that burden of mm -hmm. of uh consequence to temper your actions yeah yeah i definitely i get what you're saying um I mean, this in this movie, I think it gets a little bit convoluted in the sense of like, on the one hand, this was developed as like robot nano nanobot technology that would be this sort of like push a button, you know, these nanobots go like attack whoever their DNA encoded to attack. And then it sort of gets a little bit twisted in the fact that like, these people carry nanobots in their skin and like touches end up killing people. So there is right. a weird, like still human element of risk. It's, it's so much more minimal than like somebody fighting to get somebody and like shoot them with a, right. with a gun or something. You know what I mean? Um, it's much more casual, but there's still this weird sort of like it's robots but it's people. Mm -hmm. Do you know, do you know what I'm saying? Like this, yeah. this movie, I think like starts out with the idea that it is so remote and then it gets so very personal. Yep. And I, I like that about this movie, but I think that the, the consequence is lost a little bit or the, or the idea that this is being developed and it's a little bit more consequence free or maybe conscience free because, mm -hmm. you know, you don't have to send somebody into that much danger, but then it like kind of flips around 
and yep. we lose that that moral dilemma because it does become so personal and consequential for Bond. Well, and I think that's one element. And the other is in all this stuff. So when we talk about AI or in weapons of mass destruction, um, whatever it may be, um, bioweapons, it's um, the from an individual's perspective that you have your own goals and allegiances and whatever. You're like, okay, well, you believe you're in the right. You're doing this thing. And mm -hmm. though what I develop may become, could fall in the wrong hands, if I don't do this, someone else that's our enemy is going to do this first. Mm -hmm. Because there is, we're not in a, we're not in a echo chamber and you know, we're not in a sandbox with one or two players, you know, when we're on a worldwide scale, there's absolutely going to be people that have ultimate control and no, uh, like second thoughts hardly on what they're doing and the co potential consequences. The goal is to win, you know, mm -hmm. and, and consequences be damned in a way. So that's to me, the question Mallory asks himself or must've is, well, I see the good in this. I see the potential good available here. Um, the way to reduce casualties. Yes, there's a, a danger, but if we don't do this, if we don't get this tech first, if we don't harness this, we're going to be behind and someone else is going to do it and it's going to be in the end of us because that's absolutely the world. And that's, I mean, if you listen to certain people, like the, the idea of whoever gets to general artificial intelligence first mm -hmm. runs the world, you know? Right. So like there's those kind of like larger um threats to humanity and to civilization that you know bond tries to tackle at different points and to me that's where this goes um mm -hmm. and why i can sympathize and it makes it a difficult decision like yeah you know fundamentally i kind of reject the idea that anyone or any entity should wield such power Mm -hmm. But I also am in the real, like a realist in the terms that if someone, there are people out there that if they can, they absolutely will. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's so funny because in, in thinking along those lines, like you basically end up developing that technology for the very people you're trying to keep it from as this movie yes very adeptly points out like if if m hadn't been of that mindset and like well somebody else is going to develop it so we better develop it first it you know it may have been years before it was actually developed yep um but instead m like pushes that cycle forward and then just like sort of serves it up on a silver platter for remy malik's Seven to steal and be yep. like cool thanks totally appropriated this really fits yep. in with what exactly my plans are so thank you for yep. developing that and i didn't have to do the work yep so in this complicated issue that can be spanned across many things in mm -hmm. in life and in the future to come can uh we say that the the best course of action is one of a preventative nature instead. So as opposed to like, well, it's inevitable. 
this crazy technology is going to happen, this crazy powerful tech. Maybe our resources are better spent at preventing our enemies from developing said tech. Everybody spies on everybody to try to figure out what they're capable of, what technologies mm -hmm. you're developing. Maybe, like you said, maybe that this kind of technology in this universe would have been very far off had they mm -hmm. not like kind of found the way and, and pushed that forward and funded it. Mm -hmm. And so maybe just like trying to do what they can to make sure others don't have developed such a thing is a better use of resources. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, um, who, who knows like what sort of funding went into developing this project that could have like been aimed at, you know, saying like, you know, we're, we're entering into an agreement or, you know, like saying above board that we're, you know, not going to be doing this and then below board, you know, basically sabotaging anybody or, you know, yeah, slapping right. sanctions on like an organization. That's what or the double O's are that, for. Like, does. That's a what? Yeah. That's what the double O's are for. You yeah, send them exactly. in all they're developing exactly. this thing, you know? Yeah. Yep. Right. So, yeah. So, I mean, yeah. In, um, I mean, this is like you said, road to hell paved with good intentions. I mean, Mallory was obviously trying to, do what was in his mind a good thing and uh, minimize, you know, personal casualties for his double O's and yep. ended up costing a great deal more than he ever thought possible. Yep. Um, so I actually did like uh, Remy Malik's character quite a bit. I'm a little, I could have used a little more time with his motivations Mm-hmm. Personally, uh, I think that was probably the the biggest thing missing, you know, as opposed to just someone that's, you know, I understood why he wanted to take out Spectre. That made sense. But beyond that. Um, yeah. And then, you know, I. Yeah. MI6 and Bond and. Yep. Yeah. That's what I don't understand. Yeah. I mean, when I say I was disappointed with. Remy Malik's villain. I don't mean that I was disappointed with Remy Malik per se, but I just didn't feel it like his character was fully developed. I felt again that he was a great actor underutilized. Sure. Um, in terms yeah. of being given a story, much like Christoph Waltz. I did love, speaking of, loved his appearance in this movie. It was great. It's a lot like, better than previous one yes yes um i mean it was both like a great plot advancement and something obviously that was like oh my god there he is again this is a little mm -hmm. callback for you know bond's tenure um or for craig's tenure so yeah so I, I love that that um that moment in the film but yeah i i just felt like i needed more out of remy malik's villain for him to be like sure. one of, one of the great ones, I guess. I mean, he was fine. Sure. He just when I think of like Bond villains, he's not ranked in my top five. Sure. So, why do you think that this film was uh, was met with such a cool reception for many? We see again on Metacritic, it's sitting at a sixty-eight. Mm -hmm. So that's that actually better. Surprises me. 
Yeah, it's better than Spectre and definitely better than the mm-hmm. Quantum of Solace, but mm-hmm. uh, solidly behind um, Skyfall and Casino Royale. Yeah, it's funny because when you look at it um, in general, I would agree with like the rankings that that these scores place these films at. Like Skyfall number one, sure. Casino Royale number two, um, no time to die, not kill, <laughs> um, at number three, and then Spectre, Quantum of Solace. Over, overall, that's how I would rank Daniel Craig's films as Bond. Um, but it does surprise me that No Time to Die isn't, like, doesn't have a higher score. Um, sure. Mm-hmm. And I think because it was divisive on um, it being so fan servicey to Craig, I think some people hmm. felt that that really worked and really enjoyed it, and some people didn't. Like from the reviews I've read from critics, um, one critic was like, "Yeah, if I just imagine this as like we're just like giving Daniel Craig a movie, I really enjoyed it." If I thought hmm. of it as like a separate movie in and of itself, I didn't like it. Interesting. Um, and then, and then another person, another critic, um, thought that like everything was really well paced, like the storyline was spot on, but it was like performance wise not his favorite. Like the actual what? actors themselves, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. So it's, like very. I, I th- very divisive opinions, very like all over the map. It was really hard to read this one. I think it was honestly the the previous film being generally considered a disappointment mm-hmm. and then the the long waits for this one. So I think it was just a I don't I mean again for me I think it helped because my expectations were lower. Sure. But maybe for other people, they just were kind of, maybe they're already kind of done with this iteration of Bond, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and the drawn out release schedule, I, I don't know. I just, I didn't find a lot to not like, you know, mm-hmm. short of a couple motivations, you know, there's a lot of uh, emotional elements and yeah, there were callbacks, but nothing was nothing was cringy or on the nose or really mm-hmm. like blatant fan service. Nothing like, felt shoe the, shoehorned in there. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the puns made sense without it being too like wink, wink. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, who's going to complain about like the classic cars. And I just, you know, the, the theme, the musical elements. Um, I don't know. Great I just don't settings. know. What, yeah. You know, I don't think the cinematography is quite as good as the previous two, but I still very much enjoyed it. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't, uh, I don't, don't get it. And then like the reveal of the child, you know, Mm -hmm. Bond having a kid. I thought that was pretty cool. Be honest. Did you never not think she was his kid? No, I'm like, like, I I really did. I was like, she's his. I said, I put in the comments, ooh, a child. Um, <laughs> assuming, okay, it's like the right age and all that stuff. So, yeah, it didn't, it didn't ring true that 
that like so shortly after uh they split that she would have just all of a sudden gotten pregnant right or or even during that would have been you know or something like that because it's just the timing fit you know that right. way. so um yeah and again lovely as a doe so mm-hmm. um what um I mean, this is this is kind of the the biggest, I think, plot element that we haven't gotten to yet. What did you think of yeah. the new 007? Oh, okay. Um, I mean, I didn't like her at first because she's her kind of her foil or really, you know, it was like the the feeling threatened, I guess, probably mm-hmm. is the idea. You know, what are you doing back here, old timer? Yeah. Um, but ultimately I came to like her. And, um, I thought the little kind of showdown again, um, in Cuba made sense, was fun to get to see her, uh, kind of face off and how that went. And then, um, the, the how she came to respect him, she understood yes. like what he was going through, what he has lost, what he has, um, at stake and, you know, said, Hey, he should take his t- 007 status back and um and then they worked well together at the end i thought mm-hmm. i thought it was uh she was a good addition to mi6 i agree i i really thought all of that kind of tracks with with human interaction generally i mean you know when mm-hmm. you think like hey yeah. i've taken over i've earned this spot what are you doing coming back here like you feel threatened by things like that I felt like they played that well. Again, like we're resurrecting Bond, you know, kind of, kind of from a retirement, and uh, you know, bringing him back into MI6 and bringing him back into the fold. But we've got like these new ways of doing it, and having a new 007, you know, was a really great way to like bring him back in, but also like kind of keep him at arm's length for a little bit, and yeah, like create that that you know tension of you know is he really coming back is he really not like you know is there a place for james bond um you know at mi6 anymore are we really moving on you know um and is this the future and yeah then like you said kind of resolving that through the movie um the two characters working well together and and going on that like final mission i thought that was a really great job yep so we have to, of course, talk about the biggest, the biggest, spoiler. biggest. <laughs> yeah. Um, James Bond dies. So we have to, and they, yeah. I, I thought maybe they would leave like some room for question, you know, when it was like looking grim, Me too. but they did not. No, absolutely, I mean, he was <laughs> engulfed. Um, yes. so I think normally I would be, I think it speaks to how good the film is that I was okay with this. Yeah, you weren't upset. Um, Yeah. Because, I mean, for the story, it makes sense. And, Mm -hmm. you know, there are things that when you have a perpetual series that, you know, this is 25th official film, you know, since 1962, um, there's you run into those things where you don't have any emotional impact if some dramatic things don't happen. Mm -hmm. And so Craig calling it a quit 
you know, calling it quits on his run and, um, this bond, you know, seeing an end, I don't know. It just, it fit. It was emotional for, um, you know, his, his love and his now known child and for everyone else there, but it's kind of unrealistic as well for the world's greatest double O to never, you know, to live to old age, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't know what, what did, how did this resonate with you? Yeah, I, I thought I was going to be more upset about it. And I was upset in a, um, you know, I can't believe he died kind of way. It's, it's such a tragic circumstance, um, you know, to, to have been reunited and met a child, um, only to be, you know, obviously horrifically torn from them. Um, Mm -hmm. but it makes sense because how would we move forward in, with any sort of storyline that way? How would we move forward? Um, you know, with a child that, and a, and a love that he could never see. How would we move forward with like knowing James Bond as a dad? Like, would we, you know, would we in the back of our minds, knowing that and knowing he continues to be a double O feel like he should be holding back somehow because he's a parent, you know, would there, would there be some, you know, I don't know. I think there's always something when when people are parents that, you know, you think like, you know, you should be more careful because you have a child to live for and you have to like protect them. I don't think James Bond is as effective that way. So, yeah, it really made sense at the end of this. It was like beautiful, emotional stakes. Um, It was great because, you know, they gave us that tease of hope that he was getting off the island. Mission success. Great job just kidding you know one last final twist and and he has to stay um so yeah all around this really made sense and i think chris and i when we were talking about it afterwards it felt very satisfying because it felt like a clean slate to take a break we don't i mean bond is now dead we don't have to rush into a new film we don't have to rush into a new recasting. We can take some time, maybe some, you know, real extended time to think about what's next. Yep. Because that is one thing that the film did do is um, promise that James Bond will return. Yep. Right. And it very yep. specifically said James Bond, not 007 which I right. think is a very telling clue about, you know, talk about 007 being rebooted as a woman, as a different character. Obviously, we were introduced to a 007 in this movie, but I think that ending title card makes it very clear that she's not going to be James Bond 007. Right. Yep. Yeah, so that's the question, you know. I mean, well, firstly, would it have been 
satisfying for him to get away and drive off into the sunset with the his woman and child, and then we just have our then we have our cut. Daniel Craig's gone. It's whatever, and break. Would that have been? I mean, obviously, we don't have the emotional impact of the mm-hmm. loss, the you know the tragedy. Um, so that takes something away. Yeah. But you do end on a on a happier note that adds something. I don't know. Ultimately, I don't know which is better. But I think that I don't know. I whereas I maybe would have expected this to really upset me, I was okay with it because of the how it contributed to the mm-hmm. to the drama. And and it also helps knowing that at this point in time, they don't have any intention of just like, well, okay, James Bond's dead. We're gonna we're just gonna do something else now, you know. Mm-hmm. It's gonna be 007 and not him, you know. Mm-hmm. Um knowing that helps as well that Mm -hmm. he's not just they're not just throwing away the character they're Mm -hmm. throwing away a a section uh they're closing a chapter with this character because it made me think about you know how bond is set up and it's kind of a freeing thing where everything else is always like how does this fit into the canon where does this go time-wise how is all this stuff bond is kind of whatever yeah. You know, the only chronology that really matters for this is Daniel Craig's run. Mm-hmm. That's it. It's kind of a self-contained. The rest of the Bond things, yeah, there's callbacks and nods and stuff like that. It's like it happened, but kind of didn't. Yeah, they're callbacks to to people. They're callbacks to things, um, you know, like hallmarks of James Bond but they're not callbacks to events. Right. You know what I mean? Yep. It's not like they're walking around being like, hey, remember this gold bar we picked up from Goldfinger? Like, you know what I mean? Like there's there's yeah. not like a, you know, that kind of reference. So like you said, the, the, the Daniel Craig era is really self-contained. It just nods yep. to hallmarks of the franchise rather than specific moments. Yep. You know, like... um, it's, you know, there's no previous in previous James Bond film in um, On Your Majesty's Secret Service, mm-hmm. James Bond does get married and then yep. she immediately dies. There's obviously no reference to that. It does not fit into Daniel Craig's timeline or anything like that at all. Like, and I just think that's kind of what keeps the series fun and allows them to be inventive, you know, because mm-hmm. how can you not after so many years, you know, you can't pigeonhole yourself like that. Right. So where do you think they go? What do, who does some people stay? How do you what do you I mean what's next? I know people have talked about maybe spin-off, you know, so maybe James Bond will return, but maybe there is a spin-off that mm-hmm. focuses on um the 007 we meet in here or something like that. Uh, there's been talks for a long time about doing a young James Bond series, like a TV series. Um mm. No, thank you. Yeah, I'm, I'm opposed to all all of these things. Yeah. <laughs> I'm opposed to all of them. I just, I just, I agree. I want a break. I want a yep. mean, like you say, meaningful break. Yep. And then let's just come back with a, a, you know, with more of the same, but in a fresh way. You know. Yes. Which is going to be tough, but. Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard 
because I am attached to some of the characters. Um, but that doesn't mean, them. yeah, I mean, that doesn't mean they can't keep them. I mean, obviously, like John Cleese, Judy Dench, yep. I mean, they spanned yep. multiple double O's. Um, so yeah, so I mean, I, w- I would not be sad to see Ben Wishaw come back as Q. Um, I wouldn't be sad for Naomi Harris to come back as Money Penny. Um, Ray Fines, I don't know. I mean, he was looking a little on the older side in No Time to Die. So I don't know. I could, I, I could like that was a call to a, re- a reminder of the original M. Yeah, like, I, I, I do, but I just mean like it would be harder for me to see him come back depending on some length of time, you know. Mm. Like if we're Maybe. if we're waiting like another six to eight years, I feel like I don't know. I, I would He's like just older and more stately, <laughs> more wizened, you know. I mean, um, M's, M's always older, but he's not like, you know, your grandpa. So, I mean, there's, look there's at a Ray line Fiennes. there. Look at Ray Fiennes in The King's Man. I know. It doesn't look too old to me. I think, I think this was a apparel dance. He kind of did the Winston Churchill kind of sure. like lean back. He's just like, sure. you know, I, I don't know. It just felt like they almost aged him up. You know, yeah, yeah. Maybe Ray Fiennes is one of those more. like, yeah. Ray Fiennes is one of those like people that I I never actually know how old he is. He looks like he could be forty for like twenty years. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, I'm not actually sure how old he is. Oh, he's fifty nine. Okay, so yeah. Okay, he still looks like yeah. he could be in his forties, but like, you know, if you if you wait another eight years, ten years to make a movie, like, you might be pushing it a little bit. Mm-hmm. So, well, um, but okay, but yeah, I was just gonna say, like, I I want now that Daniel Craig has died, I really want Daniel Craig fresh... died. Sorry, <laughs> Daniel Craig's bond oh is what I was starting. Another to say. one. Twenty twenty two. Why? <laughs> um, now that Daniel Craig's bond has died, I really do want like a fresh new start. Um, it felt like to me that the closing of this, I preferred it to um, I preferred it to him, like driving off into the sunset, you know, living happily ever after. I felt like the emotional impact of this. I felt it both for the character and for Daniel Craig in the sense of like. We all just like breathed a sigh of release, like, oh, it's done. He's released. There's no way he could come back like. I I just felt this like weight off of all of our chests because Daniel Craig has had so much like emotional baggage around Bond. Right. So I feel like it would behoove them to carry none of that forward and just wait total reboot a ways into the future. Do not do a TV series about young Bond. I don't even know what that would be and I ugh, No. Yuck. Yeah. Um I I wouldn't mind seeing this 007, um, and I forget the actress's name, so I, I apologize for that, but I really liked her. I wouldn't mind seeing her in an action movie, 
but I don't need to see her as 007. Do you know what I mean? Like, I am okay. happy to watch her. She's great. She did a fantastic job. Um, it's a very delicate balance to Lashana Lynch. Thank you. It's a very delicate balance to step into, however briefly, a very beloved character's shoes and sort of assert yourself because you can get that fan backlash. She did it very well. The character was well written. So yeah, go off, go star in another action movie. Just like, don't let's have a spinoff. So many right. things have spinoffs and I don't need spinoffs of James Bond. Yeah. So I think I'm, I think I'm okay with a couple routes. I'd be okay with the route you suggest where we're just like basically the complete reboot, all new people, um, fresh start. I, I would also, I think be okay with a lot of the returning characters. We, you know, we, we still need the break. We still need the pause. But yes. so it feels, so it feels familiar. We have an attachment to. It's not, you know, if we we have an attachment to what's come before, but it can still feel different. Sure. Um, and we can kind of just ignore what's come before, um, even though we have familiar faces. Um, my concern is just um, how. Far do they take the idea of fresh new idea? Because I mean, we have some big swings sometimes. So when we go mm -hmm. from Sean Connery, he starts getting sillier and stuff, but then we go to Roger Moore and it really goes off the deep end, you know, and then and then we we kind of whiplash back to a more serious uh Timothy Dalton. Yeah. And they kind of ease into it with Living Daylights and then it gets more serious and License to Kill. But um, where does this next thing go? I, I'm mm -hmm. just, you know, I think that ultimately uh, the family here has done a good job of stewarding the franchise over so many years. So I can't, I can't think that they don't stand a good chance of continuing that. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I'm I'm worried about what's to come. So ultimately, I think I'm just going to sit and be happy that I was happy with this one. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was a it was a well done. Pardon the language pun swan song uh, for Daniel Craig. Um, yeah, and it, it was a very satisfying catharsis for this series to end the way it did. Um, I, I mean, there's always like a part of me that, that, you know, doesn't or does regret that, like, he couldn't have gone out on something as strong as Skyfall, but I think it was, this was miles better than going out on something like Spectre. So I'm yep. ultimately glad this movie got made to pay tribute to an actor who did a really great job shepherding Bond into, you know, our era, our, our, yeah. our 21st century. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Alan says, full name, Ralph Nathaniel uh, Twilston Wickham Fines. Is it not what? Rafe Fines? It's Rafe, yeah. Yeah, I would say I've I've heard, but it's like it's spelled that way. Like... It's spelled okay. like Ralph, but it's okay. pronounced yeah. Rafe. Okay, yeah, that's what I thought. 
Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thank you for phonetics. <laughs> yeah. Um, Can you provide phonetics end... on the whole name? Because yeah, <laughs> yeah. I yeah, know I John was taking a guess, ones. and I didn't have any yeah. better ones. <laughs> yeah. Um. Well, I want to end on the Twistleton. quote of uh, um of which I respect greatly. The, despite the uh, the writer of the quote, the proper function of a man is to live, not to exist. I shall not waste my days in trying to prolong them. I shall use my time. Jack London. And M, of course, read that at the end. And I approve this quote. I might put it as my new email, <laughs> like <laughs> ending signature. But mm -hmm. um, yeah. So. That's James Bond. That's uh, Daniel Craig's run. It really does feel like in the end of an era. Mm -hmm. I'm glad I got to finally watch it and we got to talk about it. Mm -hmm. Me so, too. Um, I'm excited to get well, more people's opinions on it. Before we sign off, I have to know officially on air, so it's on record, uh, where does Daniel Craig sit in your roster of Bonds? Yeah, I don't know. It's really tough. <laughs> I know. It's really tough. I know. Um, you know, I think for what he's brought to the franchise, he he has to be my favorite. Okay. Because I really like Timothy Dalton, but he mm -hmm. didn't have enough of a chance. Sure. You know. Two films, one of them was a little goofy, the next one very good. Uh, it just didn't have enough of a chance. Um, Pierce Brosnan, I absolutely love because, I mean, he wasn't the first Bond I saw, but I really connected with him. Mm -hmm. I really like how cool he is. It didn't, it didn't hurt that he had such a great opening film to, mm -hmm. to come in with. Goldeneye is just classic. It is so good. Agreed. Um, being right across from Sean Ben, I'm going to say Ben. Uh, we're going to go along with your ben. interpretation. Yeah. Um, and all the, the, well, I could go on and on, but that, and then Sean Connery is the original, you know? So like they all a lot, have a lot of strengths. Um, but I think the acting, weight that Craig brings the care that despite his like frustrations with bursting into being a household name and mm -hmm. some of the whatever um I think the the care that he brought to the film wanting to work with Sam Mendes to begin with I guess mm -hmm. uh, in this little documentary his the way it was written in the script the shower scene in Casino Royale was mm -hmm. like um was very different and she was supposed to be in there in her underwear and stuff like that. And, and he made, like brought the emotional element of no, like she's in shock. She's mm -hmm. just in her clothes right. sitting there. I'm going to come. We're both staying there. It's just like a moment. That's really beautiful that mm -hmm. like he brought that wasn't going to be that way initially. So mm -hmm. I think all those things, having a bond that a lot of people have said is closer to the books, a little mm -hmm. more brutal, a little more mm -hmm. to the point, uh, I think is means something as well. 
Mm-hmm. And um, three three of the five films being really good. So, mm-hmm. your I mean, your pick is still Connery, yes? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It is. Um, so I've I mean I've thought a lot about though who ranks elsewhere, and if you would ask me purely on looks and austerity. I would pick Pierce Brosnan. Um, and like you said, also sure. does not hurt having just such a cool opening film. GoldenEye, yeah. to me, um, is just classic Bond done in all the yeah. right ways. Killer song. Um, fabulous villain. Again, a Bond shadow self that like feels so real in the way yeah. that... Um, uh, Javier Bardem's Raul Silva does, you know, mm-hmm. like th- that's just such a a great haunting figure. And those two actors like do that so well, that Bond shadow self. Um, but like you said, in terms of like films, in terms of like acting gravitas, in terms of like excellent plot lines happening, Daniel Craig is second for me. Like overall, if if I had to like, you know, mm-hmm. choose a second bond based on more than looks um and demeanor, it would be Daniel Craig. Um Sean Connery to me, and there's something about him being like the OG, the original. Um I think there's something about like the films themselves as well. Um just there's like a, a much more feeling of possibility at the time mm. of like you know of like it it doesn't need to be so complicated to be a spy and i and i like that about those films like everything feels very real just very normal like yep hopping a train going across europe spying on different organizations like everything just feels like yeah you could absolutely do this whereas like in the 21st century it's so much more complicated and so much more involved to be a spy do I think Daniel Craig does that really well? Absolutely, I do. But it but it feels like you need more and more in the ways of like technology help to do what James mm-hmm. Bond does. So I I just like the simplicity of the Connery era. And Connery was such a brilliant cast because he really was. You know, he and this is something that the producers have like stuck by, and I think he epitomizes the men want to be him, women want to be with him. It's kind of mm-hmm. one of those things like he is, he's kind of the guy that can get anything done. He's kind of no Fs given. He just, he just makes it easy. Mm-hmm. You know, he gets what he wants. He's like broad shouldered and hairy and just like a man. Mm-hmm. And women are like, yeah, you can, you can smack my ass. That's I'm good with this. You know, <laughs> like uh, it's, it, he just sells it. You know, he really does a good job of of bringing that. I mean, he's if he had been different, it would have been the type of bonds we saw with like Jimmy Bond and the other right. iterations they attempted to ad- adapt the books. He brought right. a personality and a machismo and a whatever to the the role that defined Bond for for everyone for for decades. Right. To come. So. right. Yeah, I think I think. 
yeah, that's that's essentially what I'm what I'm drawn to in his portrayal is like the fact that like his charm, his personality is what makes a lot of this happen. It's not so much on gadgetry. There's still like cool yeah. gadgetry, like don't get me wrong, but like the fact that like he makes things happen. He's the one like using his charm, his wits to do things. Like I like that down to earth part of like being a spy, being James Bond. Yep. So I just like that about the films. Yep. All right. Well, I know we've had a Bond conversation before. Um, yes. This is our updated one now. We're like, <laughs> you know, a little more focused. Sometime mm -hmm. we could do a specific, we could do breakdown. This is the 60th anniversary this year of James Bond. So we do other episodes October where we break down. 5th, yes. Yeah. October yeah. 5th. Um, yeah. So we got, we got time. We can, we can break down other Bond films, do a throwback. We each pick our favorite classic. You know, All right, I'd be pick a, in. Pick I'd a be favorite, in. favorite from each Bond or something like. I maybe that's too much, but something like Ooh. that. You know. Yeah, I I'd be interested to see how often our choices align or don't align. I know. Yeah. Yep. 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 Plus, I mean, we got to get you in that tux again. I I mean, so we got to do know, another episode. We gotta. We gotta <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna buy some fancier clothes for next time. We'll get get real. <laughs> real dolled up so <laughs> all right that's been popcast on the rocks episode 91 uh please follow share like on all the applicable places we're on twitch youtube facebook twitter um you can find our videos on youtube also on spotify now as well uh, you can still listen to just the audio version there if you'd like or most any other major podcast directory so please leave a review that helps share it out all that kind of thing if you if you made it to the end here congratulations you know you've uh you know what an achievement perfect glad glad to have you like to thank killing the flower for our theme song you can check them out on spotify instagram and youtube and um i think that'll about do it from us mm -hmm. um Thanks again for joining me, Andrew, and we'll see you next week. Sounds good. Cheers, everybody. <laughs>